Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I am not Tom Nolan. I am Mario Ponzio. What if you were Tom Nolan? That'd be, that'd be distressing. <laughs> because it would mean we're shared two bodies. It'd be like Enemy. Like, oh, uh, yeah. That'd be I'd, good, though. I'd be the one that, get, that gets killed, right? That'd be a good twist to this podcast. What if we turned this into like a narrative, psychological thriller podcast? We're not doing a Welcome to Sunnyvale or whatever. Is that what else. that is? Was it Welcome to Nightvale? You know oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who cares? I don't care. Uh, yeah, we don't have a beer this week. Christmas is over. Eventually, we'll do another beers. I did look for like a celebration beer, like a New Year beer. Mm-hmm. But I was only looking for like one beer of it, and I couldn't find it. You're drinking an autumn IPA, which is uh, season appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's a session. Nice. I'm drinking. I don't think it's autumn per se. I think they just called it autumn. I'm drinking Facehugger. I don't have any Ridley Scott movies on my most anticipated list because Tom, you know, we're in the new year. We made our resolutions. Thank God Ridley Scott doesn't have any movies coming out in 2022. Yeah. Thank Christ. Mine's like Last Duel. But enough to want, like, a, no. the, uh, the next no, 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 Last Duel? No, no, no. The no, no, real no. Last Duel? No, 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 no. The director's cut of the last. <laughs> I mean, he'll do it. He'll definitely do that. Uh, but, you know, this is the time of year, my, my, my favorite time of the year for the podcast, where we start doing our lists of, you know, the best. We're not there yet. That's coming in February. Mm-hmm. We do our worst, which we talked about doing this week, and I was like, you know what, Tom, let's start off the year positively. I know, you're all into the positivity now. Well, we just, you know, it's, it wants to start with a downer-ish part of it. I mean, we both do, but like, maybe we shouldn't. But last year, actually, we started with our most anticipated before our worst. Oh, okay. So this is pressing. And, you know, it gives us some time to see other movies that maybe are bad. I can't imagine any of the movies that we will be watching are going to make, are going to top Free Guy. I can imagine. Free Guy is not on my list. (laughs) But no, we're going to be talking to start. It's our A block. We haven't had an A block in a while, I don't think. We don't have a B or C block. We just have a a shit ton of movies to talk about. A plus block. Um, but it's our most anticipated films of 2022. And you know what, Tom? I listened to uh, some of our previous year's episodes to see where our most anticipated of 2020 and 2021 were. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they? Well, we'll get to there <laughs> in a second. But interesting thing to start off is uh, during our 2021 most anticipated episode, I said, I'm going to wear you down to do a horror episode one day. And I did it this past year. We did good. We that did, was a we good did episode. A episode. We still haven't done a goddamn Tremors episode. I know. We're going to do that, too, eventually. We'll do it over the summer. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that for the past two years already doing a Tremors episode. Well, Michael Gross actually texted me. Did he? I don't know how he got my number, but he's like, what's up with this Tremors episode? Reba I'm McIntyre available. there, too. I'll just, I'll take a, I'll take a Munchies sub. So, from the 2020 list that was not released, mm-hmm. and that was not necessarily on our 2021 list, mm-hmm. um, I had two movies that... Uh, we're on my 2021 list, so I'll talk about those in a second. But the ones that were dropped from my list uh, mm-hmm. were Memoria, mm-hmm. which yep. we just talked about. And Dune was dropped from my 2021 list, which wow. was in my top five. You also dropped Dune from your mm. 2021 list. Uh, from 2020 to 2021, because of COVID. COVID. You also dropped In the Heights. Yeah. And Tom, you said this, 2021 will be a huge musical year. Oscars will be a fight between West Side Story and In the Heights. And Wicked. Is Wicked even like made yet? No, they just cast it because of COVID. Oh, okay. So it got. But you thought In the Heights is good. Luckily, and In the Heights will and not I can be a big Oscar you, thing. The movie that uh, the Wicked 
adaptation starring Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo will not get nominated for Oscars. <laughs> was that who it stars? I can oh I can assure you they will not nominate an Ariana. Okay. Oh, wait, I can't say that. I can't say they will not nominate an yeah, Ariana Grande know. movie for Oscars. So we got we got to take a look back now. Last year, uh, you did yours in what you assumed would be chronological order. Mm. Uh, I did mine. In I did not do that this year. List of anticipation. Yep. So. Let's start with you. You had Minori, Nomad Land, and Judas and the Black Messiah to start. Um, you said these are the three films that are supposed to dominate the conversation of the year, and I think you were pretty right on those. Look at this guy. Nomad Land and Minori definitely dominated conversation. Judas and the Black Messiah was there. My honorable mentions um, for me included Northman. Yep. Uh, <laughs> included uh, Spiral. Because I was oh, interested yeah. in a Saw film that's trying to be serious. How'd that go? It, it was just a Saw movie. <laughs> but, you know, it did, I did say that I was, I was anticipating um, what Darren Lynn Bozeman was going to do mm-hmm. and bring back. And he just brought Darren Lynn Bozeman stuff back. I did, however, say this. Because uh, you asked, like, not Halloween Kills. And I said, the closer I get to Halloween Kills, the less I care about Halloween Kills. Mm. And that was the appropriate response. Yep. The third movie that was an honorable mention of mine was Rebel Ridge, which was the Jeremy Solonay film. And it was an honorable mention because I said I didn't think it would be released. Oh, okay. And I was correct. Little did I know that John Boyega was going to walk off during the middle of production. For, I mean, let's not just like, belabor this just because of like, stuff or? Just stuff. We don't know. It's a family issue. Oh, okay. My number five, Tom. Was Radioscopia at the time, directed by Claire Denis, now called Fire. Mm. Never got released. Is that your this year? Oh, uh, that was for. Looking, I'm looking back. Oh, you're still looking back. Okay. Yeah. So, because I never got released this year as well. Um, I mentioned being excited about Stars at Noon, uh, but it got shelved. And now both of those movies are coming out this year. Uh-huh. Uh, my number four was also on my 2020 list and is not on my 2022 list because I'm starting to think this movie doesn't exist and that's after Yang. It's, it's, it does exist. Well, I said this. It dipped because I'm not confident it will come out this year in 2021. And yeah. you answered, which would be fucking weird. <laughs> and we talked and we kind of dwelled into A24 is blowing it. You said A24 is fucking blowing it. They still are, yes. They're still blowing it. Like... They still haven't figured this they, out two they, years in. They kind of got it right mm-hmm. with Come On, Come On, kind of. They released it in theaters and like, okay, the $20 thing. That is the first time it makes sense. Green Knight release, I think, went well. Speaking of which, Green Knight was also on your list. Mm-hmm. You said it definitely won't be a summertime fun film. I kind of disagree with that. We had fun. Yeah, it was kind of a lot of fun. Um, you did say this, though. I brought up David, your opinions on David Lowry's Peter Pan at the time oh. and you said Peter Pan and now it's called Peter Pan and Wendy is a fucking waste do we still do we still think that I don't yeah. I think okay um, it's enough you said it, it well, helps finance his future yeah, films and, is what you said. and I think and David Lowry's been is pretty outspoken and you I love say P- you said Pete Dragon is Pete Dragon is very good yeah. and um, uh, it's but I think Pete's Dragon is different than Peter Pan Pete's Dragon is is niche enough and um, was weird like a weird enough film that like translating that into like using modern film techniques and not like a cartoon dragon um, was a good idea. And Winslow Fegley, those Fegley kids, they do good. They do good work. Oaks Fegley is is the kid in um, uh, Pete's Dragon. Winslow is Timmy Failure. Um, okay. Cool. Are they both in this? No. 
What? Is, are they both in Peter Pan and Wendy? I oh, I don't know. I do. Um, Oaks is in Pete's Dragon. So okay. like, so and Pete's Dragon had a really good cast. It was really interesting. I'm happy that he's and so he's been very outspoken about the fact that he's going to do like it's like a one for them, one for me, whatever. And so I don't think he had like a ton of trouble financing. Green Knight. Green Knight wasn't one of those things where like you watch the beginning credits and there's like fifty that made, producers. That made money. Too, made pretty right? good money. Yeah. yeah, did a pretty good job. Um, it was like the licorice pizza of early 2021, which is good because it deserves it. Right. Um, I still think it's there's no way they're going to make a good Peter Pan movie. It's Peter Pan is sucks. I think Peter you, Pan is you'll, is stupid. you'll make something visually sure, good. but it's still going to be visually it be visually interesting. Peter Pan, which is garbage. That's fair. Uh, so my number three of last year was Candyman. Um, I said that uh, I think Nia DaCosta had a really solid grasp on the racial aspects of Candyman. I don't think it dwelled too heavily into that. Yeah, kind of did. Kind of did, but not as much as I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I said everything that's growing, like building with this film, has grown my trust, and I ended up enjoying it. I think visually it's a much more exciting movie than it is narratively. Mm. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's been continuingly to prove me as a good actor. Yeah, yeah, Bill Mateen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's great in it. Yeah. He's, he does some stuff in that movie that he does in Matrix as well, which is a found hilarious. Like, his new thing is stepping back from a mirror like, whoa. Yeah. Um, he's got and I, But I also said Antler's got delayed because it's a really solid, because apparently it's a really solid film. Apparently it was pretty mediocre. It just got delayed because it just got delayed. Yeah. Uh, your number three was Beagle's Get Back. Uh, you said looks like a ton of fun, and you also said this. Looking forward to sitting in a theater, hopefully, and just let Beagle stuff happen to me. But then we both were like, this is going to get released on Disney+. Plus. We fucking did it! Baby. We predicted the Disney Plus review. We didn't expect it to be eight hours. As it turns out, it is really fun uh, laying down on your couch with a fleece blanket on top of you and then a cat on top of you letting Beagle stuff happen to you, too. That is also fun. Uh yeah, so I still haven't watched it. I'm gonna. I somehow completed it, but I, I think that's the best way to do it. I'm gonna have to be in chips, a big bag of chips. I think to finish. But it. don't try to do it. So here's what I'll say: It's okay. I actually, while we're on live, we're live. I'm saying it again: We're live. We're <laughs> filming live. It's okay if you don't watch it. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll, it's, I'll, it's I'll, okay. I'll do it. So but you, I might I might tap out. I told you. Right. You and you reserve the right to tap out. So it's my, crazy. My number two, because I'm trying to get through this so we get to our actual thing, is uh <laughs> was Lays Olympiads, which is now called Paris, 13th District. It was Jack Adard. It was co-written by Celine Sienema. Jack Adard did uh Prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh stars Nomi Berlant. Still has not been released, and apparently it's pretty mediocre. Mm. We just said it was a Mario soup of a film. Probably still a Mario soup of a film, not on my 2022 list, mm-hmm. because I actually gave this more thought. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I kind of went like niche films for 2021, and like this year, I was like, no, what am I actually looking forward to? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, your huge fucking cheat of a of a number four was Netflix end of year. We shat on, uh, you shat on Don't Look Up for a While, which we'll be doing again soon. Um, and you said, Netflix is crazy town. What are these movies? One studio would never release all of these movies. And you mentioned um, Power of the Dog. You mentioned mm-hmm. Don't Look Up. You mentioned uh, The Harder They Fall and mm-hmm. Concrete Cowboys. You did not mention Tick, Tick, Boom or Lost Daughter. Right. It turned out Netflix was even crazier than we expected. Because, like, they're... T- Two, like, those two movies are, well, Don't Look Up, I guess, is going to get nominations. But, like, 
don't look up power of the dog like power of dogs is their big star yeah but tick tick boom is probably their number two now i think lost daughter is probably their number two i would say tick tick boom gets it's gonna get an actor nomination well i guess they're both they're i think they're equal no you don't think so Uh okay because tick, I think tick, I think Lost Daughter gets I think Lost Daughter gets two nominations. No, I think Tick Tick Boom. Gets I think like Lost Daughter is four gonna, or five. I actually we're going to talk about this later. I think Lost Daughter is going to Little Women all over this this ceremony. This I want to be upset with that. Uh, spoilers. Um, my number one was The Forgiven, the John Michael McDonald film starring Ray Fiennes, uh, Jessica Chastain, Kate Layer Jones. Once again, oh yeah, has not been released. I didn't have a plot description for it. I do now. It's like a. Kind of like a, I guess Isn't I kind of don't. But it's like a Morocco. It's like did it get bad Morocco. reviews? Uh, no, it's got it's got good reviews. It's got David Michael McDonald reviews, like eighty one percent. It's similar oh, to Calvary, and um, I'm thinking of the, uh, the, the Sandra police, Bullock, the officer, Unforgi- Unforgiven, Unforgivable. Oh yeah, that got bad reviews. No, this is uh, the John Michael McDonald film. Okay, uh, it's not released here until um, this spring. Uh, so. Wow, For those keeping track Mario. of my honorable mentions and my films, like of, of the nine, eight films I mentioned, two released, Candyman and Spiral, were the only films that actually came you out had your in finger America. on the pulse. Your number one was Soggy Bottoms. Now called Licorice Pizza. We still haven't, we still, neither of us have seen it yet because no. of the holidays. Um, but I think that's an appropriate, you know, good number. That's a good number one. Seems yeah. To be, uh, seems to but it's, I mean, and that's for me. I guess it was a little bit obvious. Like Paul Thomas Anderson has a new movie coming out that's got all these weird people in it called Soggy Bottom. Yeah, that's a movie I'm most looking forward to seeing. I'm not sure what else there is to say about that. You know what I mean? I didn't overthink it. Yeah. No, I think that I think it's appropriate. I. I, I, <laughs> looking back, because like twenty, uh, the way I look at it is twenty twenty one seemed like such a weird year. I mean, Doom should have still been on my list. I re mentioned both that Reed did not give a fuck about the Frank Herbert Dune story, Mm-mm. but like, I don't think we had the confidence that Dennis Villeneuve was going to look at that and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to fucking make Star Wars for twenty twenty one with this." Right, and he did, and it worked. Like, had I known that Dennis Villeneuve was going to be like, "I don't fucking care about." Frank Herbert's fucking garbage story. But while caring and about Frank Herbert's story. I can say Herbert's that because he's story. dead. Um, he died in Wisconsin. That's not even a state. Uh, no, we need but, that state. But we both expected, I think, to like dive deep mm-hmm. into that kind of world. Into that kind of like Frank Herbert yeah, yeah, yeah. bullshit. And it didn't. It just really it told stayed it, pretty on the surface. It stayed on the surface. It had some of that. It, 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 it actually played both sides really well. So. I think so. Yeah, it was, I think it was successful. I think that was like the, in terms of like films renew and we're anticipating, that was like we both had in our 2020 list. That one kind of did extremely well in terms of like re- delivering, delivering yeah. against our skepticism. But how do now, wanna, how do you want to do this one? We get to 2022, and I think most of my movies will release. I'm pretty confident. Um. I have one honorable mention, then I have five movies. My honorable mention is not a movie. Okay. Are uh, you doing five in ranked? Uh, my, all of mine is ranked. Okay. All of mine are ranked. Do, uh, do you have an honorable mention? Um, yeah, I've got an honorable mention list. Okay, I'll, I'll, oh, yeah, I'll start with my honorable mention because it's not a movie. 
Okay. My honorable mention is Guillermo del Toro presents mm. Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah. It is uh, an eight episode anthology horror series. Um, there are going to be individual tales that are both written by Guillermo del Toro. Unfortunately, David S. Goyer writes one, but then we have some stories from H.P. Lovecraft to some horror writers. Uh, however, we have a cavalcade of directors. We have Jennifer Kent directing one episode. We have uh, Guillermo Navarro directing an episode. We have Panos Cosmodos. We have uh, Annalena Amirpour, who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh-huh. It's just for a horror fucking savant, like, like an idiot savant, I guess I should say, like me. This is a dream. Uh, this is the most excited I've been for something in horror uh, television since Masters of Horror, which vastly underdelivered. But I feel as though the money by which Netflix will throw and the talent of these directors who are a little more heady, um, I don't think all these will work at all. Uh-huh. But I think some of these are going to really land incredibly well for me. And it might be, for me, a small axe thing. Where I kind of look at individual things like these and go, like, this I'm going to consider almost a movie. Yeah. Well, and I think it's going to be the difference, I think, between... Um this and like some of the other anthology series that we've been seeing where this seems like it's more uh, considered and like the production value will be greater in these like these directors are not going to let and, and Guillermo del Toro is not going to let something go that doesn't look and feel real you know what I mean it's, mm. I doubt very much these are going to look and feel like TV shows no or play and like I TV doubt shows. Netflix I, I really feel Netflix through all the money at it. And Jennifer Kent and Guillermo Navarro are both, and Panos Cosmodos both know how to take like <laughs> Netflix money. Like what would be a little amount of money in Netflix, but like an explosive amount of money right. to both to those guys and just make something that looks fucking phenomenal. Well, until we find, unless we find out different, this is the next thing Jennifer Kent did. This is the next thing Panos Cosmodos did after yeah. two movies that we both like really loved. I mean, Nightingale and, and, my and Mandy are, are fantastic movies. Nightingale is my number one film of that year. Mandy gets a... Mandy was my number 10, I think. That, it, was not, it was not on your list. But it got, it a, best direct, but it got a Best Director nomination yeah. for me. But it doesn't matter. We both really liked them. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting that this is... I mean, this is very... It's so 2022 that the next thing that these, like, directors that people are looking forward to seeing what the next thing is, is a... Ne- which is, anthology which series. Which is why, like, I, I'm reminded really quickly before we jump into your honorable mention. I'm reminded of somebody that said, like, somebody like created this bullshit article for maybe for clicks that says, like, we need to start like taking back the Christmas movie. Who and said that? Some, some, it's some dumb like decider collider or whatever article. I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's, a, but it's just like, it's like <laughs> I hate I, the culture. This plethora of choice is, is a good thing. Yeah. There's a shit ton of garbage. But that shit ton of garbage is also next to a bunch of really good stuff that wasn't going to get made. I just want to make exactly. I just want to watch something good. I really don't care where it is. Yeah, I don't care or what it is. I don't I care if like, nobody good. else watches it. Right. I just want like a streaming service to be like, oh fuck, we need original content. Here's a couple million dollars because like all this money doesn't matter anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank goodness for us that Amazon. Just has no concept of what a dollar means anymore. It was just like, yeah, Barry Jenkins, have as much money as you want to make the Underground Railroad. Do whatever you want to do. Eight episodes? Fuck it. Who gives a shit? 
We're Amazon. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, <clears throat> I don't care about it, but I'm sure Lord of the Rings will probably be fucking great for Lord of the Rings nerds. Well, and I don't want to say, I definitely don't want to talk about this, but the fact that Wheel of Time became, like, a big deal, like, speaks really well for, unless, unless they totally fuck up, because no one even knows what Wheel of Time is. Unless they totally fuck up Lord of the Rings, like, it's going to be big. Lord of the Rings is, like, a billion dollar budget, too, yeah. right? So, so yeah, absolutely. Really visually, yeah. it's going to work. My honorable mentions, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into detail with them. I just think it's one of those, it's a, it's a, an embarrassment of riches, and we kind of talked about this on, on the train the other day. Because um, we looked at the Criterion, like, upcoming list. Right, and so some of this so is from movies. that, but I think the it's an embarrassment of riches because COVID um, wrecked a lot of stuff. But I think what it did is for the first few months of COVID, when no one knew what to do, it got a bunch of people to sit down and write shit, and a bunch of people to sit down and have phone and Zoom conversations and get deals done, call people, get schedules worked out so that when when you could safely make a film, you just made it. You went, you got it done, you did your work, you did your research, you did your rewrites, you talked to people, blah, 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 you rehearsed or whatever, and you went and you made your film. So we get new movies, we got a new Jordan Peele coming out, obviously I'm interested in what whatever nope is going to be. Yeah. We had a new Alex Garland coming out starring Jesse Men. Buckley, Men, which is has a crazy and Rory Kinner, uh, Kinner, Rory Kinner right? yeah. Um, we love both of them. Exactly. Um there's a new David, you know, the whole Cronenberg family has movies coming out. I'm very excited for whatever this new David Cronenberg movie is. I won't go into it cuz I'm assuming it's on your list. Maybe it's not. That's bullshit. Um, no, there's a not. new Alejandro Gonzalez in a Ritu. Obviously, I'm just I want to see what what the next thing is that he's going to do. So my honorable mentions of these movies that are just like established people that I really like. Um, the one movie that I guess you could say that like should be on this list but it isn't is this um, Kelly Reichert movie. Um, but I'm I'm become less and is less. Is that of, Michelle Williams? It's Michelle Williams again. But I'm become less and less of a, 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 a first cow. Really, like went here to here. I'm up to down. He's, I'm, I'm he's, he's doing. They can see it. We're live. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have less. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm going to need to see it first. And I'm not. I'm sure I'm excited to see it because if it's doing, if it's staying in the same vein as First Cow, it's, it's First Cow seemed to evade some of the emotions that Kelly Reichert seemed to really kind of relish in her in a lot of the movies that came before, like. Despite how successful or not successful you feel that they are, um, it's kind of like how first, my response to Rebel Ridge was following um, Jeremy Soliné's first Netflix movie, which the title of it. Oh, oh, um, the one with Riley Keel and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. James Badge Dale and, and Alexander uh, Skarsgård, Jeffrey Wright. But it doesn't matter. But yeah, it, it's similar to that. Keep talking, yeah. and I'll. I it's, look it so up. it's it's. I'm I'm gonna need to. I guess I'm not going to give you that much time to say it. I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need to see it first, and I'm going to give her a chance. I'm going to go see the movie. Um, but I just hope that emotionally it doesn't feel as muted as um, First Cow did. First Cow felt very, like, pressed down emotionally. And I, I wasn't, yeah. like, and the more I thought, when we were starved for movies, Mario, in the middle of the pandemic, First Cow seemed like a revelation. As more movies have come out, I'm just kind of like, oh, first, it didn't go anywhere. It just kind of hung in this spot, and Ollie Shawcat kind of stole the movie, and all she did was find the skeletons. So, you know. And what I, was the name of the movie? And I wanted... Did you look it up? So, like, what I wanted, you know, from Jeremy Soliney and all that was that rawness from, Hold the dark. from Blue Ruin and Green Room, <sighs> and I didn't get it in Hold the Dark because right. it was an artifice. And that's why I'm hoping with my number five, I get that rawness. Because from everything I've read, 
is that this is an incredibly simple story that's going to be very violent, very muddy, very gross, very in the ground. Blonde. It is The Northman. So, uh, like, we're not going to play trailers, right? No, no. But yeah. I, I, you, yeah. you have said that you're not looking forward to this movie. Which is not what I thought that Robert Eggers was going to do next. I'm... We we talked about this Barat Records last last year because I mentioned uh, Northman being a Marvel mention. He said he needed him, he needed to find his thing, and I think going to I don't think he found it, but but I don't think he's yeah. found it. But I think he's looking for it. He's thirty four. Yeah, 35. I guess. Fucking John Ossoff making that joke again from last year. Um, he's always going to be younger than you. That's true. <laughs> well, unless he dies. Well, if he dies, then he's a unless hero. I die. Then he gets older than me. Mm. Ladies. Um, but I, I feel as though he's... he's This movie is interesting for me because it's... Uh, there's a, there, there is more of a simplicity to it than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. It feels as though it's just like Hamlet and Viking and visuals and kind of like a, a sensory experience. And that's why I kind of find I kind of find interesting. He's kind of it feels as though he's like channeling one thing in this instead of trying to like do a lot. Yeah, and maybe like this experimentation will work for me. I think Witch and the Lighthouse worked for me in the way of like what I was seeing, what I was hearing worked like worked. Yeah, but the movies uh, the Witch does. But the lighthouse didn't work for me from like a, a full-on storytelling standpoint. Oh no! And I think this is kind of like reducing it all to its like base level and just being like, I'm just going to try if I get my visual acumen, my my sensory acumen down, and then See, grow and from there. I don't know, Mario, because and maybe this will be the pushback episode. Um, I wrote a little note to my. I'll, we'll have, did you did matter. you anticipate North Moon's going to be on my list? Um, I guess. I mean, yeah. sure. Um. I don't. Don't I, worry. Uh, I, whatever Ari Aster's bullshit movie is, Nightmare Boulevard or whatever, well, is not on my list. Well, I was. I would have been into that movie if it wasn't also disappointment Boulevard comedy. Sorry. There's no way Ari Aster can be funny, but that's a different conversation. He's trying to be David Bart Mitchell, and he's not um, David Bart Mitchell. I don't know if that's such a good thing to be either, but it's like, better than what Ari Aster is. I don't know. I mean, Ari, because I, I, I don't like It Follows. I think It Follows is a dumb movie. That's right. But like. I also think Under the Silver Lake is a, a completely underrated cult something that nobody's talking, like nobody talks about except maybe on Reddit threads, which I'm not a part of, so not I don't yet, know. Not yet, not yet. But it's, a, I mean, Under the Silver Lake like is Josie a, and the Pussycat is an Give intensely it interesting movie. Um, I doubt very much, based on like the trailer, where Alexander Skarsgård catches a fucking spear and throws it back, and like you know, Anna Taylor Joy is doing Anna Taylor Joy things and blah blah blah. I doubt very much he's going to do anything as visually arresting as just the first shot of Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson oh, just looking no, at the agree. camera in the but, rain. What do I think he's doing? I mentioned this when I mentioned the honorable mention. I think he's a better Nicholas Winding Riffin, and he's trying to be that now. And I think he's basically making Valhalla Rising and just doing like, I can do it better. I guess, but why? Why is it the, because, why is it this you know, guy's like instinct? I'm going to be honest, like at, at, that, at this age right now, I would try to do that. I'd be like, can I do this? Can I make that? I, I would probably do that. Because maybe my own insecurity would not be like, I would be like, I need to do this. You know what I find fascinating about the trailer? And this is going back to our Jennifer Kent discussion. 
which has just happened, right? Yeah, it just happened. Um, all the stuff, all the visuals, like the jungle, I'm assuming they shot it in Australia, you know what I mean? Somewhere like that, you could look it up. You know, is he going to do anything that hits as hard as, like, as what happened in, in Ireland? Oh, and it didn't look like Ireland. It's Ireland, yeah. Um, but just outdoors, you know, outdoor shit, whatever. Like, there's people that are hitting harder. I feel like he needs the crutch of surrealism to hit. I, this I mean, doesn't this, look like he's going to have it, which means it better be fucking hard. It better be like the Revenant on crack. You know what I mean? Like, but out, if it's just a better Revenant film, that's I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I thought if was, you're doing the Dutch, if you're doing the Dutch and the, the Nordics better than, I mean, and Nicholas isn't Dutch, but he's doing it better than that. I thought he was. I thought if he was onto something with the lighthouse, and I think this is. I actually think the opposite. I thought he was onto something with the lighthouse. I thought he was getting closer to something with the lighthouse, and it was like interesting and I weird. This is and it wasn't going to make any money, but I think this is a play towards like, oh, we got an Oscar. My cinematographer got an Oscar nomination. I don't think maybe I can make some money. I don't too. think this is a money thing. I think this is like a figuring shit out thing. <laughs> cares right. gives a shit we'll find out in april i mean i guess i want to see we'll Alan... find out a week before borbius <laughs> i hope when alexander skarsgård throws that spear he turns to the camera and goes i hope he hit a black guy <laughs> 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 or my wife because <laughs> i hate both of Roof them in the background. Um, oh my, God. my number five actually my number five is going to be pretty gritty it's also got taylor joy though really quickly i know it does and we're all very excited for her and i hope that she makes the most of like these opportunities that she's been given um Although I think it's fascinating that she's playing second or non-starring in in these movies because she's way down on the bill. Yeah, she's this. like fourth. Yeah, and like last night in Soho is. I mean, I didn't see it, but it's Thomas and McKenzie's movie. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's purposeful and good. Um, my number five is is gritty and 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 raw also. Um, so it got released at Cannes, and it is going to come out. Um, early this year, I think in February or March. Um, in the U.S. It's called um, Nitram. I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's directed by Justin uh, Kurzel, who did uh, The Fassbender Macbeth and Assassin's Creed with Fassbender because he really likes Michael Fassbender. Um, I'm not, I, so I'm not hoping for a lot filmmaking-wise, but Caleb Andrew Jones is one of those guys that I'm, I've always been kind of interested in because um, I think he's unpredictable and weird. I mean, I remember the three billboards. It's called Night. Tramp? Night Tram. It's Martin backwards. Oh, okay. Um, so he plays a guy based off of um, Martin Bryant, who was responsible for the 1996 uh, uh, Port Arthur Massacre in uh, Tasmania, Australia. Um, he killed a lot of people and injured a lot of people. Um, so this is just kind of like a, a, a story of like how we got to that place. Um Judy Davis is in it, and I, I actually, I love Judy Davis. She's like one of those actresses that isn't in enough things that I watch. Um, but when she is in something, she's always like my favorite thing Part of it, in yeah. the movie. Um, just like whatever, like she's just, she's just great. I mean, we're gonna talk about a movie later in the podcast that I wish they had replaced the actress with just Judy Davis. Um, so Caleb Andrew Jones, he won Best Actor at Cannes this last year. Um, Anthony Lapalia is in it as well. Um, I, it's one of these movies that I have no idea what it's going to be. I didn't read any reviews of it. I just know the synopsis and Caleb Landry Jones 
and I'm just I want to. I, I, this is kind of the 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 theme of my most anticipated movies this year, Mario. Is that I just want to see it. I want to see what I want to see what he does with uh, um, a leading role and one that's as psychologically complex as and disturbed as the, this Martin Bryant character that he's playing. Um, so that I mean that'll be a VOD thing. I doubt very much that it gets a. I mean maybe it plays a Criterion for a week. Um, but Criterion needs to make money, so I doubt they're going to waste a lot. They're going to waste a screen on this. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll report back when we see it. Do you want me to do my number four? We'll snake draft it. I mean, if you want to, sure. I mean, my number four is the same thing. Um, but it's kind of, it's it's the difference between the directors that I mentioned in my honorable mentions and this guy is that I've become very affectionate towards this guy's filmmaking. Um I think he has an energy that is new and weird and off-putting and that people are like starting to rip off, um, which we talked about when we reviewed um, Titan, which is it's a couple of times I mentioned Titan in this list. Um, so Yorgos Lanthimos, Yorgos Lanthimos has a new movie called Poor Things. Um, it's an adaptation of an Alistair Gray novel. I don't know what that is. Um, it's got Emma Thompson in it who tries to drown herself apparently to escape her abusive husband. When she's rescued, and this is from Emma Stone. Emma Stone. What did I say? Emma Thompson. Yeah, that would be awesome. Because <laughs> um, yeah, um, she'd be married to Rami Yusuf, so that would be great. Um, this is from William Defoe's her dad. Yeah, William Defoe replaces <laughs> just just like Emma Thompson's dad is William Defoe. Can but, you imagine? That'd be good. Willem Defoe replaces her brain with that of an unborn child. Mark Ruffalo, Margaret Qualley, and Catherine and, Hunter appear in sporting roles. <clears throat> You're forgetting your name. What do we Christopher got? Abbott. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I just, the Yorgos Lathamos thing I think is real. And I think the favorite was a really easy way to get his name out in front of everybody, like in a prestige kind of way. But the favorite is still a fucked up movie. But The Killing of a Sacred Deer is one of those movies that I just really, I go back to like again and again and again. It's become kind of like an Antichrist thing for me. It's definitely, I don't feel like I'm as emotionally drawn to it as Antichrist. I'm not pulling it apart. I think the emotional aesthetics of Yorgos Lanthimos' movies is fascinating, and I'm totally there for it. I'm I'm ready for ready for more of whatever that's fucked up, very vaguely misanthropic, but like edgy cynicism that he that he brings to the table. Yeah, I sat with this for a while and and thought about like honorable mentioning it, but like I don't know, Yorgos Lanthimos is kind of like a weird one for me in the sense that the lobster doesn't really work for me. It's kind of a I like nothing. parts of the lobster a lot. Yeah, I like the same, but like a lot of it's just kind of like languishing, kind of around. Well, I actually think it's the ending makes it feel like what you just did wasn't worth all oh, the emotional no. effort that it like see, you were invested in. See, when I was sitting with it, watching it, I I felt a distance from mm. it, um, and that's kind of like the thing that is is Yorgos Lanthimos for me. Is like outside of Dogtooth, I. Ultimate and to a slighter degree, killing a sacred deer, like the favorite and the lobster are really controlled films. Like he knows what he's doing. He he goes where he wants to go, but at the same time, I end up kind of like just sitting there going like, mm. right, okay. I, I sit there kind of like not caring. Like the favorite, the thing I love most about the favorite is Nicholas Holt. Like Nicholas Holt. See, my favorite thing me. about the favorite is the relationship between Emma Stone and Rachel Vice, and the Olivia Coleman is great in it. Also great. But like the. The psychological, and it's very like, it's kind of what Jane Campion, I think, 
want, and I love Power of the Dog, but it's kind of what Jane Campion was trying to do with Power of the Dog between uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst was like these subtle psychological mind games. And but there, you get to see because he's such a, he's a different director and like a di- different movie. You get to see those two women like actively fucking with each other, and that shit is cool. The difference, though, I think between so Dogtooth and and I think. The reason I think I love Killing of a Sacred Deer so much is that Killing of a Sacred Deer hints at ideas, but I don't think there are any ideas. And that's where I think Yorgos Lassimos best resides, and the lobster kind of does this too, where he's just like, I've got a big idea. He makes you think he's got a big idea, and I don't think he does. And I think the idea is just a means to uh, an emotional and aesthetic, um, you know, a cynicism that he... uh, just that's just it's different it's just totally different than anything that anybody else is doing um and i just want and like i said in the beginning of my thing i just want more of it what's your number four four so and three my number Snake four it. uh you just talked about i'm sure it's gonna pop up on your list is uh crimes of the future david cronenberg's new movie with uh vigo mortensen leah sadal who's kind of like starting to like really now after blue is the warmest color, which we can cancel out of existence now, but she's really starting to take off. She had a really solid role in No Time to Die. She's the only, one of the only good parts of French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in Mission Impossible, right? Yeah, she's in, yeah. yeah. Well, no, she was in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, she's in, was out of it. Yeah, she gets thrown off. Of oh, it. does she? Okay. She get, yeah. She she falls hundreds of stories to her death. Oh, who's who's in Mission Impossible? That we like. Uh, Vanessa Kirby? Yeah, well, both. Both both of them are. Um, But this is a quasi-remake of a short-ish film, barely theatrical film. Crimes of the Future, one of his first movies he ever did. Mm -hmm. Um, Movie I never saw. um, But knowing early Cronenberg and uh, the old Crimes of the Future, and this is going to be different. What he said is like the story is going to be different. The old uh, Crimes of the Future dealt with like a new cosmetology pro- cosmetology uh, is that what yeah. up called um, that kills all the sexually mature women mm. and early Cronenberg like definitely dealt with that kind of like misandry aspect like you get mm. rabid like I love we talked about this how much I love rabid mm-hmm. um, and he's going back to that and this is kind of dealing I think this one deals more with now body organs being harvested and, and like and they're worn outside the body worn outside yeah. the body so we're getting Cronenberg going back to body horror for one going back to Viggo Bornson for another and then going back to kind of like his real deep dive into like the world of women and how they exist in this kind of the world of men that that Viggo Mortensen has like yeah. history of violence we've talked about is a big a big part of history of violence is that experience of women in this kind of like very heavy masculine kind of world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this is. Uh, I haven't loved the last couple of things Cronenberg has done. Uh, like Map of the Stars didn't do anything for me. Cosmopolis didn't do anything for me. But this is kind of hitting all those buttons. It could either be an abject failure, like his last few movies have been, or it could be kind of like a return to form. I think that correlation between him and Mortensen is gonna. I, ho- I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Because even Eastern Promises wasn't like a great, it wasn't an all-time great movie, and it wasn't even like a great premise for a movie, but they together sold the shit out of this movie and made it like very watchable and excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my number three is uh, Luco uh, 
Gognino's Guadagnino. Guadagnino's new film, Bones and All. Hmm. Um, it is basically a film about a woman, played by Terry Russell, who anytime a man shows interest in her, she has to eat him. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, so it's, is it's it a sequel labeled... to Suspiria? <laughs> or, who knows? Uh, it's being labeled as like kind of like a romance horror film. Uh, the thing I find most intriguing about this movie is, uh, for me, beyond the fact that, like, you know, Luca diving further into the horror that he, and especially kind of like the aspect of the body and the consumption of body that he kind of like dwelled into in Suspiria. Like, we start Suspiria with a woman being eaten by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that, like, his things are so body heavy. And oh, just yeah. to, like, finally do something that's like, yeah. All of his movies have an inherent cannibalism to them. So to finally do a movie that's just about cannibalism is nice. What I find most interesting is the fact of um, his new cinematographer, Arasini uh, Terna, um, who he got from um, 2020's Beginning, which was this, I want to say, oh, Hungarian yeah, yeah, yeah. film, yeah. which is fucking good. gorgeous. Yeah. It does like these... I don't want to say like Michael Haneke esque shots, but like mm-hmm. kind of like these lingering shots yep. that kind of stay there for the exact amount of time. But like they're just so many middle shots mm-hmm. that are un—they're un- middle shots, but they're uncomfortably close. And to do that with this sort of movie feels ultimately unsettling. And un- I-, I think I'm going to have a terrible experience with this, <laughs> but I think I need to experience. It'll be a new it. energy, especially because like I think. One of the movies we're going to talk about later in the show leans heavily into uh, Call Me By Your Name, Suspiria, Guadagnino aesthetic. And I think he's due for I think he's due for a new a new feel. Well, did you see his his latest like commercial movie? I, I didn't watch it yet. The um the one with John C. Riley has Santa Claus. The one no, 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 no. Yeah, I didn't watch we it reviewed either. that it's, one. Yeah, we reviewed it last year, but yeah. this is the first one he did with that cinematographer. Mm. I, I kind of feel as though this is going to be a better um, Julia Duca, the one that did Raw and Duca No. Yeah, Duca No. Yeah. I feel as though like this is going to be more authentically human. Cool. I don't know. It's I, don't, I, I, I I feel as though you're kind of excited about this movie too. I'm, I'm not list, unexcited. But... I just um, he's another one of those guys. I don't know. I take him as like a, on a film by film basis. I didn't think I was going to love Suspiria, and I thought Suspiria was a great time, um, in a lot of in very interesting ways. Like in uh, Call Me by Your Name is the same thing. I was surprised by Call Me by Your Name. I wasn't, um, uh, I wasn't looking for it, and I think I'm, I'm trying, I'm keeping my distance from Luca Guadagnino just so I can kind of uh, uh, save that that feeling. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that as much as I can. Um, all right, so I'll do my number three. Um, my number three is a movie we've talked about on this podcast nascently for like a year and a half now. Um, in the same vein as Paul Thomas Anderson putting out a movie. If this guy puts out a movie, I'm going to be pumped up about it. It is uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. stars Brendan Fraser as a 600-pound guy. What? It did not make my list. I thought about it for a second, but I'm like, there's too many factors. Oh, I, I'm sure there's a million factors. And one is that Darren Aronofsky made a movie about a 600-pound guy starring Brendan Fraser that's like taken forever to finish and but everyone says that it's like it's 
game changing. Like it's a, it's different and weird and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, Aronofsky is one of my guys. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast or looked at the list, you can see that he's one of my guys. Um, I just I kind of have to know. Um, it's yeah, I'm I'm very fascinated, and then we can kind of burst, we can kind of plow through my number two because you already mentioned both of the movies. Uh, I'm gonna I just combine them into one. Uh, Claire Denis does this from time to time, where she releases two movies in a single year because that's how she rolls. Um, I'd be very interested to like know how she works and like what she shoots and what she doesn't shoot and what the editing process is and all this other stuff. How much does she know before she goes into a movie? How much improvisation is there? Like, well, how much is she throwing away? How much is she keeping? Julia Binoche always nearby to tag in. Right. Well, just like just always on standby. Is Maddie Diop just kind of just like yeah, I got a couple of days. I'll come in and do a movie. Um, so she's got two movies, like you mentioned, Fire, which is another. Um, uh, Juliette Binoche kind of romance movie with uh, Vincent Linden, who we saw in Titan. I doubt he's going to be injecting his ass with steroids and just like screaming we, into a mirror. We can we hope. No, but yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, Claire Denis and Juliette Binoche will find a way to make it work uh, for sure. Um, so I'm definitely up for that. I love that she seems to be doing two different styles of the Denis, like the Denis aesthetic. So she's doing this this very domestic thing with fire and then she's going into like a white material type thing with uh stars at noon which is an adaptation of a dennis johnson novel which is a really interesting novel um it's early johnson it's from the 80s i'm very curious to find out how denise aesthetic and dennis johnson's aesthetic are gonna mash up yeah that didn't make my list because i'm not confident in pieces this year I know it's, it's filmed, but I don't know if it's... My really assumption is that it's going to be exactly like, I think, her 2001, where she had a movie come out early, and then she just... Because Fire's done. Fire's done, and then Stars at Noon just comes out later in the year. It might, be not, it might not be a thing that we see here until 2023, but that comes out for, like, award season... Like you know, yeah. Well, stars at plays noon, stars at noon feels like just a redux of white material. Like feels like a resurgence of that white material level. Oh film. yeah, but it's but white material has a little bit of so Dennis Johnson's very on the ground, and then any kind of non on the ground um, stuff that he's doing in his books is very interior. White material seems to start with a cultural, like some cultural ideas. Um, that are in the air, you know what I mean? It's much more, it's much broader than Stars at Noon. And she tends to work broader rather than um, uh, very narrowly. Because, you know, like how, and sorry to interrupt, like how white material is not like a, is not a country. You know what I mean? It doesn't take, it's, a, it's not represent. it's representative of conflicts, but it's not a specific conflict. It's not a non-fiction story. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're representative things. Stars at Noon is not representative. I mean, it takes place in Panama. It's about something very specific. Oh, it's, I think she's transferring. Oh, trans- I think she's transferring. She yeah. yeah, but I think. It, but to that point, it's about something. It's about something very specific, well, which interested. Dennis Johnson likes to do, and she doesn't usually like to I'm do. I'm interested that. to see what she does with Margaret Qualley and, and Joe Alwyn because they're not extremely deep actors yet. Did you see Made at all? No, gotta watch Made. Margaret Qualley is the deepest. She contains well, pools of depth. Margaret Quayley, I kind of like. I, I kind of just include her in this because I think she has like non-potential. I don't know if I necessarily believe 
Joe Alwyn does. Did that? Did that used to be Robert Pattinson? I'm not sure. I thought that like when that originally got announced, it was Pattinson and I thought Robert Pattinson Denis was again. I thought Pattinson was in Radioscopic. Oh, maybe that. Maybe you're well, right. which is now Fire. I thought that's what he was. Supposed oh, to be. I thought he was supposed to be in that one because yeah, that would have worked but too. Joe Alwyn just feels like a weird replacement, and I'm looking at this from off of like obviously what he did in like Boy Erased and mm. Billy Lynn isn't. Remember that movie? Billy mm-hmm. Lynn's what long long half time walk. walk? Ang Lee, like those like I don't know. Maybe he's not being demanded to do stuff. He has. Well, been she'll asked. figure it. I, I, the reason Joel Edgerton's number two, not demanding people to do stuff. She will. Uh, she will figure it out. Yeah. And I didn't think that she was going to get Pattinson to do anything interesting in high life either. And she made Pattinson into the most interesting actor of like the last couple of years. I mean, and then and she helped make like. A mixture of her and to you know people like Cosmopolis in that way has kind of made Pattinson like into a thing. Pattinson, and the actor, is a, into Pattinson, Lighthouse. The, well, then, but yeah, between like the Safties and and um, Claire Denis, oh, right, good and then Robert Eggers, um, Pattinson, the actor, is like not like as a, a franchise guy. It's, you know, I'm sure he'll bring something interesting to Batman. I just want to see him act. I just want to see him do interesting stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not on my list, but I am looking forward to the Batman. Oh, me too. Only because I think it's going to be I just bad. To... But I also think it's going to be probably interesting. I think, I think it's going to be fine, but I think there's going to be scenes where you see like Pattinson and Dano working off each other, and you're like, I it's want be more bad. of this. I think it's going to be terrible. Okay. I think it's going to be, t- I think it's going to be way too much. Well, speaking of... Movies you probably will think are gonna be terrible. Or I just want to just interrupt. Okay. Sorry. I think it's gonna be they're gonna give it a good shot and they're gonna try to do something interesting with this character. But I think it's going to be between all of those factors: its length, its tone, its aesthetic, with the actors that they cast. The fact that we haven't even seen Paul Dano. Um, You're starting to see him, but like a, like a little bit. It, I think it's going to be a lot. It feels like Matt Reeves is trying to do Darren Aronofsky's year one script, mm. to be honest. Yeah. Like with the new Batmobile. Continue. Sorry. But thinking of things you probably think are too much and you won't like, my number two is a director's first film in 16 years, and it is, is his third film. It is Todd Field. Mm. Tare. Uh, that is uh, Kate Blanchett playing a... Uh, She's a composer, a musician. She's mm-hmm. uh, days away from composing a symphony that's going to kind of like raise her up uh, to the top sort of thing. It's going to be the thing that makes her renowned and her dealings with kind of her six-year-old adopted daughter. And that's all we've heard about it. Uh, you know, little children's on my list. Um, I love that movie. You have other opinions. I love In the, in it's the not Bedroom. The, it's, I love In the Bedroom. It's not the filmmaking in Little Children per se. Um, it's like the stuff around it, like well, the, the screenplay. But some of once the again, this choices, is yeah. this is a, it's a Todd Field script in Tare. So, but you know what? Like, you hit two things that like hit it out of the park for me. You wait sixteen years, and you haven't. He hasn't acted in years either. He hasn't done anything mm. forever. I don't even know how this guy like supports himself. Like, how is he feeding himself? Plays with pia- blindfolds and piano bars. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or for Sidney Pollock and his friends, but um, but yeah, like 
This movie, I, I have no idea what this movie... You, you talked about this when I did my number one of just, like, a lot of people coming together. Like, this, you know, Kate Blanchett did uh, two performances here that I enjoyed this year. Um, one of the few things I enjoyed about the movie we'll talk about in a bit. <laughs> I my, just enjoyed it. My eyes year. narrowed. Well, people can see it. We're alive. Um, but, you know, in a, in a nightmare alley. Um, but all, it's really, this is a Todd Field thing. Yeah. Like, I just... What is I it? What has he got to say now? Yeah. My number one you mentioned, Tom. Did I? Earlier, when I said grimy and dirty. Dune 2? No. My number one... Uh, Netflix saw this movie and was like, what the fuck? What are you doing? Cut this. And Andrew Dominique was like, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to do that. My number one's blonde. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um, why? Obviously, you're just going to tell me why, but why? <laughs> well, I... It'd be funny if you wanted to tell me why. There's a I don't love what Andrew Dominique necessarily does with his movies. I, I'm not the hugest fan of Killing Me Softly at all. Mm. Um, but and, and like Assassination of Jesse James is good, but like, but it, it's it's too long. But I've never seen like this guy just like he fucking makes what he wants to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, and we did one more time with feeling too. I always forget that. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, all those movies together, when you look at them, you're just like, he made all these. He can work in kind of any genre. Yeah. He wants. But the thing that works for me is just this 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 incredible sense of like domination over it, and and the fact that like everyone that's seen the first screens has been like, this is a fucking biopic. Like, they can't even believe that this movie exists as, like, a biopic of Marilyn Monroe. You're welcome. Or Joyce Carol Oates is saying you're welcome, like, to everybody. Yeah, I, I never read. I never read that. Well, I'm happy for her. That, I mean, maybe this is where, you know... Isn't she... she she's dead, right? No, she's not dead. She's, oh, she's very dead. alive. Yeah. And still writing several novels and short stories a year. Well, so. Joan, Joan Didion did that, too, and then she yeah, yeah, dropped yeah. over. Um, yeah, this, I, I'm happy for her. Because I know she's gotten some... They've adapted stuff. They've adapted stuff before. This is kind of big time. But Yeah, the thing I'm excited for is this is... I, I feel this can go one of two ways. Either this is going to be like fucking like Marvel. Where you look at it and go like, yeah, let's just hit on all levels. Or like even st- or even just like, this is good. Mm-hmm. But like, I get what he's trying to do. Or this is going to be a giant fucking train wreck. But it'll be an and awesome it'll be train an wreck. awesome train wreck. Right. Um, just based on what we know is in it. Or, yeah. or why it has the rating that it currently has, which is it's going to be released as an NC seventeen. Right. This is going to be. Uh, it's either going to be the fact that Netflix went super. This cool. has too much sex. Right. Is great. It's either going to be super cool or a complete fucking disaster. But like, it's a disaster that you're going to be like, I saw that. Or you're going to want to tell people like, did you see Blonde? Don't see it, but see it. It's going to be that type of thing. Um, I'm actually. It's interesting. I'm also going in. Uh, Picking for my number one, a director who's uh, had a long absence. It's not been 16 years. It's been 11 years. Um, Amateur. Yeah, I know. Um, since uh, Sarah Pauli's last um, narrative uh, directorial effort, uh, Take This Waltz, which I didn't really like very much. But Sarah Pauli has made a bunch of movies that I really like. Was Take This Waltz her all-time? No, that wasn't. Was that was away from me. That was away from her. I'm, um, I love that movie. So that was 2006. Then she did uh, Stories We Tell in 2012, but that was a documentary. 2011 was her what, last... Do you think, have we talked about Away From Her on the podcast? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, not like... 
but we both actively. It's we both one of those really like it. It's one of those movies that's kind of nascently a part of the podcast. That like if somebody was doing the deep dive, like in twenty years, if someone pulls this thing apart and they're just like, these are the what these movies. guys think about yeah. away from her. Um, they would actually probably be able to piece together what we think about away from her. Like on our Wikipedia page, it'll be like in a separate entry away from her. They talked about it all these different times and like they mentioned all this stuff and stuff. Um, she has adopted um, a novel by uh, Marian, uh, Miriam Taves, who is one of my favorite writers. Um, uh, the movie is called Women Talking. I think Women Talking is a tremendous book. It's not my favorite by Miriam Taves. It's only because um, her novel All My Puny Sorrows is one of my favorite books of all time. But so she's she's in there. Um, this movie has uh, Frances McDormand, Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy. Um, it's a uh, uh, dramatization of um, this situation that happened in this Mennonite community in uh, Canada where all of these um, oh, women... It was Mennonite, not Jehovah's Witnesses? No, they're Mennonites, yeah. Because yeah. um, she was, that's she, much more she was a Mennonite. Um, Miriam Taves was, or is it a Mennonite? Um, or she grew up in the Mennonites. I don't know if she ever like abdicated or anything from the... Or was excommunicated or stuff. doesn't matter. Um, these women were for years being... Uh, believed they were being violated in the night by... Um, spirits uh demonic spirits and they get together and they discuss it's like kind of like a support group situation um again i've i know the i know what's in the book i've read the book um this movie is going to be in the same way that blonde is going to be kind of sensationalistically tough this movie is going to be is a hard movie um and they, which she does well which she does well and they've cast all the right people I also to didn't realize suck up all of this. She was trauma. 27 when she did away from her. She's only 42. Yeah, I know. I just looked at. I thought she was like. No, her career Sarah. is her career is incredible. I thought she was like Sarah. Uh, who am I thinking? Of? The one that does all the Ryan Murphy stuff. Sarah Paulson. I thought she was oh, like Sarah no. Paulson's age. No, no, she's she's uh, she's, uh, she's she's much smarter than I am. Oh my god, she's incredible. Um, I, they don't give Nobel Prizes to filmmakers, but I feel like if they did, she'd be one of the people that was like secretly. She could get a Pulitzer. Sure, for sure. But I just. Uh, her movies always have more. I think that's why Take This Waltz was like weird, or it now seems so weird because it seems like it doesn't have that much to say. It just feels like such a. It, it feels like, like such an indie first movie. Film. Right. And. All of her like other away movies from her is like so not a first movie. Big, even though they seem so intimate, they're so big, and that's the that I, that's why I find this movie, the idea of this movie, so thrilling is that she's going to take the most intimate experience that these women have had, and she's and, and she's going to film it, and I, it's going to be it's it's going to be incredible. Um, it's going to be, I think. If it's done right, I don't know who picked it up or who's distributing it. Maybe nobody picked it up yet. Okay. Um, it's a Ryan Pictures distributing. Uh, that's so, okay. If it's done right, I think this is going to be a big Oscar movie in 2022. Yeah, I can see that. Um, because she is someone who is due, even though she's young. She doesn't feel like she's due, but she's due. Frances McDormand is... is, is Francis McDormand. This is maybe the Jesse Buckley thing. Everyone loves Claire Foy. Has won like a million Emmys. Um, you know, we're Rooney. They they want to give Rooney Mara right supporting and actor. And it's 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 um got everything going for it. Like I um 
from a, a an artistic politics type thing. But I also just think Sarah Polly was not going to miss a chance. She's not going to do this book wrong. And this would be a, a hard book to do wrong. And I don't think she's going to do it. It's a Canadian book directed by a Canadian who understands the nature of like what she's got yeah. and what she has to deliver to make this right. And there's, I mean, it's, it's something we should all be, I mean, obviously it's not going to be a movie for everybody, but we should all be looking. Anyone who loves film should be looking forward to this movie. Um, yeah, it actually, it jumped up on my, like I looked at this, but it jumped up when I realized how young she was and how long it's been since Take That Waltz. Right. Like I, I assume she made Take That Waltz when she was like 40, not when she was 31. Right. Which makes sense. Because oh, most 31-year-olds make I, Take This Waltz. I, I would have made well, a most, worse movie than most Take Most 31-year-olds don't make Away From Her, Take This Waltz, and then Stories We Tell. All right. See Stories We Tell. Like it's, it's yeah. she's fascinating. So, all right, we we are at an hour. Perfect. We will be right back with uh, a couple quick reviews of movies. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll blow through some new releases. All right, so the first movie we're going to do um, in a big new release week, every week is a big new release week now, um, it seems like, is uh, Netflix's uh, Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up. This is the worst news in the history of humanity. He just blew us off. What are we going to do? We have to release the information. So we just leak it. Our guests today have made a pretty big discovery in space. How big is this thing going? I can't destroy my ex-wife's house. Is that possible? <laughs> There's a 100% chance that we're all going to die. Hey. 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 Well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm, not so much. Not so much. We're going to get the news out there one way or another. It's real and it's coming. FBI! Jesus Christ, you could have just called me. This comet contains $30 trillion worth of material. What do trillions of dollars matter if we're all going to die? Oh, no, what if we're rich? That would be terrible. You guys discovered a comet? I have a tattoo of a shooting star on my back. Oh, that's that's terrific. That did it. That's it. Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is Dr. Randall Mindy. He's an astronomy professor. Um, He... Uh, works with Kate DiBiaschi, played by Jennifer Lawrence, uh, and Kate one day looking in a telescope sees an asteroid that gets subsequently named the DiBiaschi. And um, they discover through math uh, that this asteroid or comet, asteroid, asteroid is going to hit. It's a, it's a comet. Is, yeah. Comet is going to hit it's Earth. It's an extinction level event is going to happen we've seen the deep impact we know what we know what, Ellie, yeah. we know what ellie's mean here's ellie what, here we're going to talk about Remember that movie we're going to talk that movie's about, so much better than this movie i just want to go there does deep impact exist in this world yeah sure they've seen they've all seen deep impact yeah. how come they didn't reference it at all you would think they would have referenced it because they, they kind of do like slight references to armageddon with like the, the plans for what they're gonna do. I know. But they don't Deep Impact would have been better. I'm getting sticks. Um Deep Impact is a better movie. They try to tell Amy the world. Hennig, right? 
What? Directed Deep Impact? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Keep going. Doesn't matter. They try to tell the world, including the president, played by Meryl Streep, and the president's shithead son, unfortunately played by Mimi Jonah Letter. Hill. What? Mimi Letter did uh, Deep Impact. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, they team up with Rob Morgan, who plays Teddy Oglethorpe, who is... Um, Head of the Planetary Defense Coordination Office, which is a, a real, real honor. Not every movie can be the big short, Adam McKay. Um, basically, and no one listens to them. They go on a morning show uh, hosted by uh, characters played by Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. Um, they tell... Once again, Tyler Perry, not a bad actor. Yeah, I think Tyler Perry's a good actor. Yeah. I actually like seeing Tyler Perry in stuff. I think he's charismatic. He plays that role so well. Yeah, I think like, he's Kate good. Kate Blanchett doesn't do as nearly as good of a job as Tyler Perry. But that, I don't doing. think that's her fault. I don't no, think she knows Adam what McKay's the fuck fault. she's doing in this movie. Um, Timothy Chalamet shows up as, as like a, a, a gutter punk who recognizes Jennifer Lawrence working at a grocery store after she gets canceled. Um... Politically and culturally, for freaking out on live TV, um, and they try to tell the world that this is a thing that's happening. This comet is going to hit Earth. It's going to kill everyone. But everyone is too wrapped up in their own bullshit, politics, uh, cultural media, stuff, cultural culture. stuff, whatever, to pay any attention to what's going on. Um, and so everyone gets, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character gets increasingly famous as being like the hot doctor, which is weird because in the beginning of this movie he looks weird and is puffy. Well, and they try to make him, they try to make him not look hot is the intent, and yeah. not. Well, they he doesn't look hot, and so I'm not 100 percent sure why people are like hot doctor when he's like sweating and looks like he has horrible gas on TV. But there's a meme hot doctor. Whatever. Doesn't matter. This movie's supposed to be a satire. This movie's supposed to be about, um, you know, referencing the global warming pandemic and how no one's listening to, like, all the scientists about global warming. This is a thing that's going to happen. We need to take this seriously. And it's a thing that you and me take very seriously. It's a thing that I'm, like, obsessed with and worried about. And I have kids and all this other shit. This movie fucking stinks. This movie doesn't do the job that Adam McKay thinks he's trying to do. I don't know. As a, from a narrative perspective, it stinks. From a tone perspective, it stinks. From a filmmaking standpoint, it stinks. It's not enough with the stock footage, Adam McKay. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or if he's really serious. He's showing Pornhub stock footage. But it sucks. Too. Pornhub stock footage. He sucks. So the the thing I find interesting is like the I, I think the intent is like this really base level forward facing satire in which everything's so forward and so in your face yes. and everything. And that and that's the intent. And that could work. And that could work, but he fails even on that. And I think that's almost like the simplest premise to to deliver. But you have to get all your people on the same page. And that's the yes. biggest failure of this movie yes. is not every – nobody's on the same page as one another. Or Jennifer Lawrence is like trying to do work. I think she's pretty straight, good. She's pretty – she's really good, yeah. I think. Playing the straight man in what's supposed to be like this really absurd world. Mm -hmm. But then you have – all these actors doing absurd in different ways. Yes. And that's where it doesn't work. All making like, different kinds of choices. choices. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if they were... it, This is basically, in some ways, a remake of It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Yes. In the sense of like bringing all these actors together. Or, or Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, exactly. Bringing all these actors yeah. together. Um, and I, I bring It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World up more because it's like it's more absurdist and this is what it's trying to be. But, like, you have to have these people operating on the same level. And when DiCaprio's making different choices, 
than Jonah Hill, who's making different choices than Streep, who's doing whatever the fuck Mark Rylance is doing. Dude. By the way, there's the no hell? worst actor or worst performance role. Mark Rylance, you won that, bud. I like you. But you fucking suck in this I don't movie. know. Did you see Jungle Cruise? Oh, I'm sure there's worse. The Rock is pretty bad in Jungle Cruise. I mean, I've... Uh, I'm oh, sorry. Know, I, I'm it, would, sorry. It, would be, it would be because I expect something from Mark Rylance. Right, right, right. Um, instead of a bad David Byrne impersonation. Like, always you say, like, yeah, he does, he does like, small facial well, things. The worst, but, like, all of these people are doing different things. And it's like, Adam McKay, you're a director. Fucking direct. Like, your shit works when it's Step Brothers. Because or, those guys or, can feed off each other. These people don't know how to feed off each but other. But here's the thing. And I'll say, and I'll give Adam McKay some credit. The Big Short works. Because... The Big Short works for a couple of reasons. One is because half of these people are absurd already, okay? And then he has a whole bunch of different straight men commenting on how absurd the situation is. It's an, uh, but like in a sad way, you know what I mean? Like you have the Steve Carell and like the Jeremy Strong contingent, and they're commenting on it. You have whatever Ryan Gosling's doing, which is but like a works, commentary. The reason that thing. works is like Rafe Spall, a link later. Uh, Steve, Steve Carell, um, Jeremy Strong, they can do that they're all stuff. The same and they're, movie. But they're all doing that stuff. Right. And like Ryan, it's Gosling, right? Ryan Gosling kind of just like, Ryan Gosling's kind of like a good actor who just goes like, plop. What am I doing? Okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But, but that's, that's Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's like a fucking chameleon right. in terms of like, Aspect. But he can raise exactly, and that's exactly. why he can raise Christian Bale doesn't work in that movie. Christian Bale stinks in well, Big he's Short. Too, he's too intense. Christian Bale being Christian. Fuck Christian Bale's like I'm in a David or Russell. But movie. but the problem but with this movie, movie is this movie is a bunch of fucking Christian Bales. Yes, right. Yes, because that and I think that works in the Big Short because that guy in reality is fucking crazy. So he's the one crazy person in a field of. All sorts of different kinds of crazy people, but he's yeah. the one that's really crazy. But he's also the one that knows all the stuff. The Mario, the scene that you're talking about, okay, is easily one of the worst scenes in the last five years of movies. The scene when like Leonardo DiCaprio's character gets brought in to be a part of the presidential cabinet, and then that's when they kind of talk about the uh, the plan that Mark Rylance's company has to um, not blow up the comet or to send it off course. Harvest it. Harvest it. Mark Rylance, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Leonardo DiCaprio, all in the same room together. All literally in totally different movies. In totally different movies. It, it sounds like... It so doesn't even make any sense. There's a Swedish performance of The Final Countdown. It's a bunch of middle schoolers from like 2008 doing The Final Countdown. Mm-hmm. It's a punk band. This movie is that performance. Look it up. It's, it's that. They, everyone is doing a different tempo everyone's playing fucking a different song and jennifer lawrence is sitting there just weeping in a corner going like and and you know timothy chalamet kind of pops in and goes like i fucking love fingerling potatoes but he pops up and like tries to match like jennifer lawrence's thing he but, tries to well but here's the thing Mario. and that's the problem is like so every time jennifer- i see like every time i see timothy chalamet and jennifer lawrence uh, together i'm just sitting there going like Oh, this is where like two different people do two different things could have worked. But it's not about the performance. That's but it's, the problem. It's just like, it's, but about, it's just like the energy. I know. It's about the but it's, this but movie's it's, just but about it's also energy. for me it's not about the for me it's all those things, but ultimately for me it comes down to 
is, so it's two two sides of the coin. Jennifer Lawrence has this, the one good running joke about the guy, the general charging them for snacks, and she just CSI, keeps bringing it up. CSI head, yeah, it's very funny. That guy's but also. Then, I like that guy too. He's also. Oh, he's great. He's also good. The but Tim, my problem with this movie is that Adam McKay started with an idea, and one of the things that was part of the idea is that he wanted to bring a prayer into the ending. I know it. I didn't talk to Adam McKay. I don't fucking know Adam McKay. I didn't talk to Timothy Chalamet. I don't know any of these people. Well, little do you know, special guest. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, um, the Merv Griffin show. Seems out of place. Um, I know he just wanted to bring a prayer into the final scene, which I think the, if the final scene is really effective. But I think it's effective for a reason, which Adam McKay, I have to assume, was probably aware of as he was editing this, was like, oh, all these people are trying to ignore what's happening and are trying to live a normal life. And all of a sudden, this movie has some kind of emotional impact. Fuck. Fuck. I messed up. Because guess, the, this movie has... I guess I gotta throw a Pornhub clip in here. This movie has no emotional impact until this very moment. But he wanted to throw a prayer in there, so he developed this character with a secret Christian side. Oh, Don't right. tell anybody, I've got this secret Christian side. And it's just like... Uh, and when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's what this guy's doing here for no other reason. He's just a device. Yeah, I mean, Timothy Chalamet works with what he has, but like... He's just a device. It's a, it's a bad movie. Uh, uh, if you, if you if, love if, Jennifer Lawrence and seeing her like... And I'm, I'm not a Jennifer Lawrence guy. Like, No, I give her... I give her she's earned some free passes from Mother. Yeah, but, uh, like, but like this is not one where she has to like cash one in. No, she gets to keep them all. Yeah. She can save it for whatever David O. Russell movie she makes next. She's coming out there. Right, exactly. Um, but I actually, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about this one? I actually think this transitions fairly well into the new thing where there is, to the next movie. Oh, the, the new, new thing. thing. To the, the new next thing movie we're going to talk the about. the fourth Matrix movie. <laughs> yeah. um, which is... Uh, the Matrix the Ma- Resurrections. Yeah. So deja vu. Obviously, all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good, made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. Uh, This is the fourth film following the completion of the original Matrix trilogy in 2003, directed solely by Lana Wachowski. Um, She wrote it with some partners, but uh, her sister had no, I don't think, involvement in this. Yeah, no love Um, at all. It is... In some extension, a remake of the original trilogy in which, in real time, 60 years has elapsed in The Matrix. But now Thomas Anderson, uh, Neo, blah, 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 fucking Keanu Reeves, has That's been the resurrected. of anything ever. Been <laughs> pieced together like Uber Jason from Jason X with Trinity and brought back into The Matrix because we have learned that keeping them close together... Uh, creates enough energy to kind of sustain the Matrix because we went full mystical now. But do you remember, and I couldn't think of it, and I just watched this last night, can you remember why they kept them alive? Why they kept them in the movie? Yeah. 
Because if you keep... No, no, but why they didn't reset the whole sequence, why did they... Why did they... Because there's... Oh, all, it doesn't matter. Because, well, because there's always been a Neo, but Neo is a different person in every one. It's not always the same Neo. No, apparently... I think they're trying to say it was the same Neo. The scene with the architect from Matrix Reloaded now says that it always looks like he... No, there's always, always, a, no, there's like, always a Neo. The program requires there to be a Neo. Neo, yeah. But this is so the move. This movie makes clear that they instead of getting rid of old Neo and Trinity, they kept these this current Neo and Trinity alive. Well, let's just say why. This. Do you know? Do you remember why? Uh, I will just say because the energy surge by keeping these particular ones close was enough to power the Matrix, and because this entire movie says that there was a big energy civil war between the machines, and now some machines are supporting. Uh, the humans and coexistence and some machines are like, let's keep the Matrix things going because of all the resurgence and the peace that was supposed to be brokered from Matrix revolutions is now not happening. And eventually um, the people from IO now, the new Zion, bring Neo out of the world for reasons unknown. Because they Cause could. Because they have to. Because they love him. Because he's cool. It's basically because it's cool. Well, because like, there's peace, right? There's a certain amount of peace between... And Jada Pinkett Smith's character, Niobe, kind of articulates this, that there's a peace between... I believe you mean... The, I believe you mean one of the worst makeup jobs ever featuring Jada Pinkett Smith. And one of the worst old lady voices ever. Yeah. One, oh, we, oh, we, oh, we all know Jada Pinkett Smith. Her best role was in the opening of Scream 2. Wasn't she in Dead Presidents? I don't remember. I don't no, she was in Set It Off, so you're... Oh, okay. oh, I didn't see set it off. You didn't see set it off. It oh, like we got to do a years ago. We got to do a separate set it off podcast. Not even on this feed. It's, it's a different fair, podcast. I still might think Scream Two is better because the reason why that wasn't on my list, by the way, uh, Scream Two is technically a 2021 movie for us. You're gonna you're gonna do it, aren't you? It's I'm gonna not. make your top ten. It, no, it, if it, if I like it, I gar- it will probably make a, it will probably make moments, but I don't. It will not make. It will have to be extraordinary. I had two epiphanies today on my way over here, and that was one of them. I won't tell you what the other one is until I have to. Then I'll find a girlfriend in 2021? No, they're this podcast. Oh. (laughs) Anyways, uh, they bring Neo out, and he's like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. No, he didn't say that. That's more than one word, (laughs) Mario. He definitely only said, yeah, or what? Anyways, but no. then he wants he wants Trinity out, who's also Tiffany. Uh, but they're trying to keep both of them together because um, Neil Patrick Harris is the new architect. He's now playing the analyst. He's like, oh, if we keep you close together, you will create all the energy and come back into it. And he's like, well, I don't want to do that. So we create a heist movie to get Trinity out. And then they get out. Uh, then they take over the Matrix. Mario, I'm tired. I'm tired things. already. Um, this movie is kind of a failure. In the fact that it looks bad. Yeah, why does it's it look not, bad? Because I don't know. It's 20 years later. How can it look worse? It's like the biggest budget of a Matrix movie. I, I mean, I think it's it's comparable to like... It has to be in modern money, a lesser budget than Matrix Reloaded. But it's probably a similar budget to like... It's probably a similar budget to those movies. Has a Mario. single film. It's a hundred and ninety million dollar movie. Anyway, they redid the, the emptying of the pod. 
And it looks so much worse than only, it did in 1999. There's only two pods this time. What the fuck? Anyways. Yeah, yeah continue. Whatever. It's not made well made. It doesn't look good. The color saturations kind of weirdly makes me sick. Um, it's like the acting free guy, like extended. Yeah. Uh, but this, I was sitting there going like, I don't think I like this movie at all. And then people started because there's a swarm thing instead of agents. People started throwing themselves out of buildings, and a woman's like, "Hey, honey, what are you doing when you're awake?" And then. She just threw herself out of a. He threw himself out of a building, and she screamed. And I was like, I started laughing, and I was like, I kind of fucking dig this. Yeah, because it's so dumb, but at the same time, owns to its stupidity. Yes, that I appreciated it. Like I, I just watched this. I don't remember really what happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a really bad uh, CGI. Conflagration, um, Abdul Mati the second, yeah, yeah, and Abdul that Mateen, was yeah. a big part of it. And he kind of looked worse than Doctor Manhattan, Billy Crudup did in Watchmen. But like, I was like, you know what? I had fun. Don't remember the movie. But that's that's my opinion of it. I um, had a lot of fun because it's the second people started throwing themselves, and he was forced put like Neo was forced pushing everybody because Keanu Reeves couldn't be asked to do anything. I was like, you know what? I had fun with this. It's dumb. And then you have this is going weird. Neil Patrick Harris playing like the hammiest dumb oh, villain and ever, Jason, and he's like digging into the and and Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff. It's also Fantastic. they're all being hammy. Oh my god! Like they're just like it, it felt. Somebody this is a Reddit comment, but somebody mentioned like this is what the CW. This is like watching a CW created Matrix, and I kind of agree with that because it's like hammy and on the nose, but like I had fun with it. Um. And so my end review is like it's fun. I don't know how much you want to go back and forth on this. Um, I don't care. I, I had fun. That's all. That's all I have to say about I it. I think this movie stinks, but I had a good time. Oh, that, I that's didn't exactly want. What I'm I didn't to want to turn it off. I watched it late at night, and I was happy to sit and watch the movie uh, until the end. I will say this, parents, don't listen if you're ever listening to this episode. I will watch this again when I'm stoned out of my mind. Oh yeah. Here's what I'll... And I'll say... It's a good high Let's keep going. Let's keep going in this vein. This movie fucking stinks. Keanu Reeves is a winning actor. I love seeing Carrie Ann Moss do stuff. Um, Carrie Ann Moss is trying too hard in this. But she's... She's great. But But she's doing too much for this movie. Jonathan Groff as the new Smith. Fantastic. Abdul is doing... Well, I'm leaving him out for now. Okay, okay. Um, Jessica Henwick. What are you doing? What, what even character is this? But every time she's on the screen, the movie gets better. She's so charismatic. She's active. She's actively making this movie better just by being like. Well, every time, every when time she's she, not on the screen, this movie's terrible. Is, when she is on the screen, yeah, this movie's is, like, do I like this movie a lot? So somebody, uh, I think this is a wrestling reference. Uh, or the, the reference back goes to something. It's like when this person's not on screen, you should be asking yourself, why is this person not on screen? Yes. And when she's not on screen, I'm like, where's Jessica Henwick? Okay, and to that point, Mario... It's a Roman the, Reigns joke. One of the questions I'm not asking, because I forgot he existed, was for like 40 minutes towards the end of this movie, Yaya Abdul-Mahin is not in the movie. Oh, it doesn't matter. But I... And so when he shows up, like, at the end of the movie, a little bit, I'm just like, oh yeah, there he is. No, but I think he's doing fine work because I think he just feeds off of a, I think he knows what's happening. Oh, yeah. He's not trying to, like, explode a scene. He's feeding off whatever is happening to him. Uh, this I movie, mean, he's Carrie's Candyman. 
Oh yeah. Like oh, he's, he's, he's Domingo, very right? good. Uh, Coleman Domingo. Col- Coleman Domingo. Yeah. Like, doing like great work off each oh. other. But like here he knows like it's not his fault. My character's boring. So like I'm just gonna have fun like when I'm here and then like the second I disappear I'm gone. It's this. It's not his fault that it happens. Obviously, it just it's it's this movie is terrible. This movie. This so, movie is like, the perfect Rennie Harlan directed film. This is like a Rennie Harlan movie. Oh, I, Rennie Harlan is very bad. But like fun. Ooh. No, I like I. The thing, my problem with this movie is that it cares more about its ideas than the actual like execution. Do you of think the it film. cares about its ideas? Oh, I think Lana Wachowski is very like cares very much about this movie's ideas. This movie is very self-referential. It's very much about what the Matrix is actually about versus what Republicans have decided that the Matrix is, is about. Then the first act about, like, a joke about, like, making another Matrix movie? Because that's... Because it's playing into... Because I think... I think you can look at this movie, the end of this movie, in a couple of ways. I guess only two ways. One, they're going to make a bunch more about rebuilding the Matrix. Which and they s- will not. This and movie Smith coming $5. after them. Right. Or... Or... But I think that's part of the problem... And that's the other part I wanted to go into. And I'll go into it in just a second. Or they're not going to make any more of these movies, and it's just laughing at the idea that Warner Brothers was willing to pay this much money for this movie, and Warner Brothers is just like, yeah, you can make fun of us, we don't care, we just want the content. And my problem with this movie aesthetically is that it feels a lot like content. It doesn't oh, feel absolutely. like a movie, it's just a, it's just this a feel, content. This, it's a feels like content. A, this feels like an, in, like, had COVID never happened... I would not have been surprised if this movie was still released on HBO Max. Me too. I had the same thought, It's a perfect in... Like, Jessica Henwick isn't a big enough actress to, like, star in a movie, but she's a big enough actress and charismatic enough in here to lead a show. Yep. Yep. She's a John Cena through and through. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that coming? Probably. She's very good. She's a very good. I mean, I looked up today. Mario, I looked up today to see when Peacemaker was coming out because I'm excited for that show because Suicide Squad, a movie I've completely forgotten about, but I'm still excited for Mario, what John what Cena did. Would with... that show even? Who is she? I don't even like. Not even Jessica Henwick. Just as a character, who the fuck is she? Where does person. she come from? What, uh, what does she do? I don't even understand. Who cares? It's content for but when you're bored. Exactly. And so that's where... And that's Which isn't like, a bad thing. No, I that's not a bad, a bad thing. thing. But yeah. that's the thing. I like this movie because... I would give this movie a positive rating because it seems to acknowledge what it is. And it doesn't ever try to be more than that. The fights in this movie are fucking terrible. I mean, that's the, the, worst, the worst thing about this movie is I wish its action was a little more reminiscent. But... Of at least of the, two's action. Exactly. Because I don't need one's action because like one is considered. Well, I mean, it's I game changer. I'm going to be honest. Have we ever talked about this thing before? I prefer Reloaded to the original. I like Reloaded a lot. And I I actually, I think I do too because I I got the original, but I didn't care about it. I don't care about the ideas of the original, but like Reloaded like does that fucking, what, $30 million highway sequence. And I'm like, that's fucking impressive. Right. And it, seems, and it leans into like the nerdiness, the goof. Like when you get um, we're going to talk about him later. Lambert Wilson, Lambert Wilson, yeah. Lambert Wilson. Oh yeah, like, he gets to like control the oh. first act of. We've talked Reloaded. about this. We've talked about this a lot. If if in like whatever time he's terrible in this. pivotal arc, pivotal um scenes. If I don't know what he's doing in this, but he's not doing. I'm not sure what he's doing in the other one either, but um, well, it's closer. Like him in the other one. Um, well, because he's got a role to play. In, as opposed to this, Paul Verhoeven just kind of makes those things work. Well, well, we'll talk about that. Um, 
the architect scene in Major Reloaded is a pivotal scene for me. I it think it's changed great. changed it changed a lot of things in how I viewed movies and what I wanted from movies. Um, it's all exposition and what what is it? I was really excited. I thought, oh, I I thought there was like a huge bug or something. No, I like, thought oh. I had drank both of the beers and I only drank. Well, that's the problem with the black know. top. Yeah, I know. It's hard to see into it. It looks like you haven't drank any of your beers. I drank in most of them. I drank one less than I thought, though. I think this movie knows that it's content and doesn't care about any of the other stuff. And I think that's and fine. that's why. And that's, but I think it works because it, yeah. it leans into it. But I think it's you got to get Lawrence Fisherman back to do something. There's a big problem for me that they didn't even ask him to be in the movie. I get like the conceit that they developed to have him not be in the movie. But what do still. you think about like the flashbacks and like the shots of the first? I love them. I love the I idea think that it's, it's so. I love that. Fucking you know what I silly. love is that it's. This is a video game, and it just is the Matrix. Like, that video games in whatever world this is look like movies. Like, real oh, movies. Right. And I also love that they stole... And this is, this has to be on Oh, purpose, yeah, because right? like the opening scene is like him, her watching Trinity, but it's not real. Right. Yeah. I, this has to be real. And I know it is... You can disagree with me if you want, but I still know the truth that it's real. The idea that, like, you're, you create more energy when you're, like, through fear... Than like happiness and desire is, is monsters is monsters inc. No, they definitely stole it. From oh monsters my god! Inc., right? So I was talking to Jordan. <laughs> and I was like, she was like, because I, I so I watched it on Sunday yep. and uh, I had to like like take ten extra minutes before I talked to Jordan. Hi Jordan. And I, I I said to her like, yeah, I watched this movie and she's like, oh, I I've heard the original. Can you explain this one? And I explained it to her. And she's like, so like monsters inc. And yeah. I sat there going like. Oh shit! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> While he was doing that terrible, terrible scene, where he's like, "Oh, I use bullet time against you." Blah, 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 Which blah. also, I love just mentioning bullet time as like an universe. Oh my god! It's a, it's oh, great, it's hilarious. Though. But the fact that he's just like describing I mean, the plot, she, she knew they, they, she knew what she was doing. Oh, she, she totally knew what she was doing. But like, in having that bothered me though is when she said one word and it's like a hyphened word, and I was like, eh, it's kind of not one word. Like, I wish she would have rewrote that. She says bullet time, and she says one word, bullet uh, time, and it's like, it's, but it's kind of, yeah. yeah. But it was great when, it's great when Neil Patrick Harris descends into his Neil Patrick he's Harris-ness, but he's very awesome. good. Yeah. This movie has a lot of energy. for Again, for a movie that is terrible, this movie is fun to watch. It's kinetic. It's a good time. It's a real kinetic. Right. It's also, it never stops. No. Which is fun. And it's, but it stinks, but it's good. It's, it's, it's like, like and it's like the, the uh, glitchy um, hacker guy. It's, that's fun. It's so dumb, but it's so fun. Oh, yeah. The idea that they can like... You know, what, you know what works about this, too? Is everyone's making the same movie. We have two more minutes. My favorite thing about this movie is the conceit that they can unplug them wherever they want sometimes, but they sometimes they have to find doors. Yeah, that's true. I love it. I but, love it. But it like, makes no but sense. To, but to tie, no, but to tie it back to Don't Look Up, Everyone's making the same movie. Everyone's making the same movie. Even like Keanu, Nicola, my my wife is just like watching this. She's like, oh, he's really leading into like the Keanu Reeves are, like stereotype now. And I was like, like, oh my yeah, god, he's he like is. only gonna do this movie if he can like be the same character he was in that Netflix rom com movie that he made. Um, what's the name of that movie? Um, oh, I forget what it is. But he made a Netflix, he did like a cameo in a Netflix rom com where like he dated the main character Keanu Reeves at like playing. Is it the Lauren Lapkus one? I don't remember. I don't think so. Yeah. It was one that got good reviews. Oh, okay. Um, the Lauren Lapkus one. So he like he oh what the fuck is the name of it? It doesn't matter. 
he like really leans into like whatever people perceive to be like the Keanu Reeves archetype to be. He like leans into that, and I was like, oh, he's just yeah, he's just doing that now. Yeah. And but to your point, like the fact that he like didn't hold a gun and like he didn't want to do anything, he definitely didn't want to do anything. He just did this for fun. He did this to hang out with Lana Wachowski and Carrie Ann Moss. You know what I mean? Like that's why he did it. He did it to not crack up when he saw Jada Pinkett Smith walk up to him going, like, oh, no, no, no. And he's like, what are you But even, even that's bad. Like, it looks bad. And Jada Pinkett Smith's not doing good work there. But it works. Because all this movie's popcorn ham. And oh, yeah. If you go into this movie, like, if you're a Matrix head, like, for one thing, what the fuck are you doing with your life? But if you go into this movie just expecting, like, if you look at these movies just as like popcorn dumb, which I do, right, you'll have a fun time. Speaking of popcorn dumb, I don't have eight. I have some caramel popcorn downstairs. Our next movie is Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. So, Benedetta. It's the new Paul Verhoeven <laughs> movie. Benedetta. Get um, ready. So, Benedetta is the uh, daughter of an affluent family. Uh, from a young age, she's been moved into a convent. Um, and, you know, grows up in that life. Uh, underneath the... God, what's it called? The, uh, the mother superior. Direction. The abbess. Yeah. Abyss, yeah. I keep wanting to say like abscess. Abscess, yeah. Because she does have the, some later. The, yeah, later. Um, of uh, Charlotte Rampling. Uh, she grows older into teenage and adulthood. Eventually, another kind of girl comes into her life. Uh, uh, the uh, Bartolomea, uh, who's kind of a woman from the streets who asks for girl from the streets who asks for kind of help and. Who's being Luckily raped her. by her father and her brothers? Is it raped? I thought like just kind of beaten. No. Okay. Because she asked her very specifically, like a, a wife, like in everything, and she's like, "Yes." Mm. There's a lot of paying attention that has happened in this movie. Would you say there's a lot of like attention that's to be paid to this movie in very particular unfortunately, moments, yeah, in very particular moments, yeah, which is like a lot from Paul Verhoeven. Like Go Paul ahead. Verhoeven, you can't ask that much of us, given all the movies you've made. Could, yeah. Um, well, we'll we will get there. Is what my gesture is referencing. So her family is there. Luckily, her parents are there. They pay for this woman to be brought in, and uh, Benedetta and her start a love affair. Also, concurrently to this, Benedetta is you know talking to Jesus a lot. Her and Jesus are having a good old time. Jesus de- is decapitating dudes. Oh, this movie is gory. Bad CGI. Terrible fucking CGI. That bummed me out so much when he went with CGI decapitation. I was like, Paul Verhoeven, you, I saw Total Recall. You did the good arm coming off. You know how to do it. From Michael Aaron. Yeah, you could do it. Um, 
And, you know, she suffers various forms of stigmata. She's warning about the bubonic plague coming on while she's also having, you know, some nice casual lesbian sex with uh, her friend. Uh, eventually, these two worlds, chair legs. Yeah, eventually these two worlds kind of, you know, ram right into each other. Oh. Just like a huge explosion of things. Uh, Lambert Wilson playing the nuncio is like, <laughs> this is not good. Um, you know, he, he's there, he's like, they convict Benedetta of her, of her crimes eventually, mm-hmm. and uh, the bubonic plague starts bringing itself onto this town, and she's like, oh, I could stop this, and the people realize that it can be stopped, and then they just kill Lambert Wilson. I don't know. That's... Who has the plague? Yeah, it's the plague. Gets stabbed. That's he cool. does. But also, he has a plague. Uh, God, this is a... This is a hard... I'm hard so curious to find movie. out what you think of this movie. One thing. This is my big thing about this. I don't like it. Mm. Because this is not a movie Paul Verhoeven should... Uh, has, you... the, has the reason. Has the authority to make. There is a lot... This is this is this is the weird review for me. The middle one is always the weird review for us. So Paul Verhoeven kind of like you know, I don't want a man making this movie because the sex scenes are too sexy. Right? I, they're not sexy at all. They're the most boring sex scenes in the are history they? of the universe. Because her legs are shaved. Everyone's body's shaved. They look very feminine. I'm going to interrupt you, and I'm going to take over for a second. Okay? Because it's exactly tied to exactly what you're saying. There's a, 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 a generation of American author, and their names are Philip Roth and John Updike and Saul Bellow and, uh, you know, other guys that I can't think of right now, but that were writing, who were having old man protagonists that we're having lots and lots of sex with young women and just wrote about it all the time. Like right up until the day they died, their last books were about old guys having sex with young Philip women. Philip Roth dead? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, good. Um, and you know, Philip Roth is, is a, is a very, I mean, I don't know what John Updike's deal is. I'm, I'm hoping he's good. Philip Roth is a very problematic Figure as his biographer, as his biography written by a guy who was grooming women and raped them and all this other stuff. So he's, you know, it's problematic all around. Um, not problematic. He's fucking garbage. Um, ben Blake I think is, John Updike so far is okay. I think so. Blake Bailey is garbage, and Philip Roth is like of a generation where he thought that being a novelist meant you could do certain things and had certain rights and all this. Saul Bellow, okay. Saul Bellow, I think, is okay. Um, Sobella always, but he also struck, wrote. A, always like, struck me as somebody who's like, everyone's writing this. I guess I'll do it. Right. He, but he. So he's. I think personally he's okay. But he. I, he also was wrote not immune to writing so. the, that same stuff. This seems like a movie made and is a movie made by one of those guys. This the the lesbian relationship in this movie is completely inconsequential and has no bearing except for to have. A shaved chair leg be uh, a mirror to some kind of torture apparatus later in the film. Oh, for sure. None. That's the only reason that these two women are having sex at all. 
at all. There's a little bit of religious ecstasy attached to it. But I it's, wouldn't say ecstasy. But like just like her like her she the problem is the religion the religion of this film and the sexuality of this film are very separated. I would say the religion of this film is an in is an in to Benedetta's kind of mindset about what sexuality is. Well, it's because, but I don't think Benedetta has a mindset about what sexuality is. No, because but I don't it, think she but, cares. But romances, right? But I don't think she cares because I think she for, has to because, like, she imagines Jesus as this like kind of like white knight sort of figure. But I also believe in this. This is this movie is not. So this is the problem with this podcast is that we could literally spend 50 minutes going over like Benedetta, a movie that I think both of us feel basically nothing about. Um, I feel one strong thing about it. Okay. So we'll get there. Um, I think her religious, it's, it's all climax oriented, right? Her climaxes look exactly like her throes of religious passion. And like the idea of a nun, like wanting to have some kind of sexual relationship with a tucked in Jesus or a vaginal Jesus is weird, but also kind of like in, vaginal Mary. No, no, because Jesus is when Jesus is on the cross, like when she gets the oh, stigmata, right, like right, he's right. all tucked. But yeah. I also maybe yeah. he's not tucked. Maybe it's just a vagina. I don't got know. It, got it. Um, but he has hair, so it's some kind of genitalia. I'm assuming um, it's not like a dog. It's not like a dogma situation. Um, dogma, I mean, because uh, it's dogma. no, no, no. Okay, um, it's it's sensational, but I get it. It makes a certain amount of sense that like a, a woman who has not who's in her sexual prime that has not had sex would be sexualizing the woman the the man that she's supposed to marry. It's, it's loose, it's sensationalistic, but I get it. But the sex I don't get. And it's it's, it's slow it, and it's like very explicit, like for no reason, but also like not explicit at all. Like like go deeper. How would she know to go? How would she know to go so deeper? So when I say and, sexy, I mean more like the way the two of them are staring at each other. Oh, it's and it's and instantaneous. Is, like that is, it's stupid. It's it's dumb. stupid. It's it's dumb. And like that's the thing about this movie is like clearly it's satire. Clearly, it's Verhoeven doing and he does Starship it. Troopers and doing Total Recall again. And he does it's, it better than on. I think he does it better than Adam McKay. Oh, yeah, of course. Like we're. <laughs> I just want to put it out we're not, there. We're not going to put those two people. I mean, I <laughs> I won't even say the one person's name. Out of respect for like you know he has he has Anchorman and Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. He did Talladega Nights, right? Who Adam McKay? Yeah, I don't know if he did it. He did Step Brothers and Anchorman, at least. And so, like, those are the movies by which I will keep him. Oh, yeah. He's earned made those movies something. Um, yeah. I, he I, did uh, do a, a Talladega Nights. He had to do a Talladega Nights. Um, this is in that same vein of satire. Like, this is clearly a satire film. Sure. Like, the things, especially in that final act where the nuncio, they're going to the stake. Like, that's all satire. He's putting, um, pushing buttons. Yeah. But I guess... Like, but, like, also going real ham with the fact of, like, really <laughs> clearly showing the porcelain. Like, um, uh, an L version of Verhoeven... Oh, yeah. ...would not have needed to show the porcelain no. stigmata. Well, and this So is, this is... this. There's, there's two versions of Verhoeven. Verhoeven is either a really controlled, definitive director doing shit he wants to do in a subversive way... 
versus like a transgressive Verhoeven who's just doing shit to like but this is push but, buttons. But this is my and this point. is like this, this is, is this is the point that I was getting to when I talked about the old authors is that they're pushing buttons that nobody wants or needs or yeah, cares if they push anymore. Well, this this button this button would have push but this would have push buttons during New Atheism. Sure, like when, but nobody gives a shit now. Yeah, nobody. Who cares? I mean, can you name the four, the four people of New Atheism? No. Now it's it's uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, oh, those guys. Sam yeah. something. And blah, blah, blah. but like I know who you're talking about. But yeah. ten years ago. The two of us could have named those four people sure. instantaneously. Yep. Because this movie's ten years too old. Oh, it's it's almost it's ten, no, ten, it's, it's, ten but, years. No, no, yeah, I think, ten I think, years is about right. Yeah, maybe about right. Because like, you're sitting here going like, nah, yeah, like but you mentioned because it's, it's a really cause, like you said, it is one of those writers who are great. He at knows what, they what do, he's doing. Minus Philip Roth. Philip Roth is great. We've argued about this multiple times about Philip Roth. So this is where it doesn't matter. We'll do a podcast. Doesn't matter. That's not pivotal film. One time about Philip. I will read all of Philip Roth, and we'll have this conversation. But no, but there aren't any. There aren't a lot of American writers, male or female, in the last fifty years that have written sentences as good as Philip Roth. Well, we'll have that conversation at some. Well, you. Point if in the that, but this is one of this is like a Beatles conversation. It doesn't matter what you say; it's wrong. So like, but is. Whether or not you are the people saying that, but whether like the or not Beatles, I I can admit the Beatles, but like no, but whether or not we're you, getting off track, we're but getting off track. Said, we'll, right. we'll, we'll talk about this off. But whether or not you, but I guess what I'm just want to say is that whether or not like someone likes it, it's and this is a Verhoeven thing as well. Whether or not this movie works for you, Paul Verhoeven knows how to make a movie. Yeah, but I think people would agree that Paul Verhoeven knows how to make a movie. I'm not necessarily sure people. It's agree no, it's Paul Verhoeven with, knows how to make a movie, but why is Paul Verhoeven still making movies? That's the question. It's the same thing with Brian De Palma with that stupid Domino well, movie. They're, they're, why is they're the same? Brian De Palma same, knows how to make a movie. They're the same ilk, why right? is he still making movies? De Palma right. and Berhoven sure. are the same ilk. But that's the same thing I would say with Philip Roth or John Updike. Philip Roth writes the best sentences in the last fifty years in American fiction, but he does. So, but I, your your criticism would be based on what, like I, I, content? I, mean, I, I would just have to go back. Like, right. This is not well. He, uh, so, not I'm, exactly. exactly. But what I'm saying is that, like, so even if you agreed that that was the case, why is he still writing sentences in his 80s and those sentences still include Jewish guys getting head from shikses in cars in, like, whatever? Well, that's or, like, like, old, like, six, like, 70-year-old Jewish guys issue, getting head from white ladies. The issue with this movie and, is I, I think it's well-constructed. I think it, it knows where it's going, but I end up asking myself, like, why am I here? Sure. Because he's trying to say something. The whole time. But like it's just it's not doing anything. I agree with you 100. percent We're Outside literally on of the one same thing. page. Yes. What is it? Charlotte Ramping's fucking terrific in this. See, and that's where I was mentioned Judy Davis before, and I would have liked to seen someone with a little more edge to them in this movie. Charlotte Rampling seems a little too like. Do you know what? You, I don't know. No, there's a, there's a bit of like a, a like against the wall stuffiness to her. But when you need somebody to fucking tear themselves apart, like she does during the comet scene, yeah. where um, I forgot what the sister is that kills herself. Christina? And she has, yeah, it's... I don't uh, know, something. It's, Her daughter. Yeah, it's Christina, yeah. And she just like fucking falls against the ballast yeah. of the door. Chef's kiss. Like, she fucking... Oh, she does. Nails. And she does and the like, end scene, too, that, when she reveals her, like... 
her plagued upper body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, like, and this is, this is what I actually found interesting. Because she does that, and it cuts to Christina's death. Mm Mm-hmm. And her, like, David Gordon Green, three months ago, (laughs) destroyed that fucking mental patient from Halloween Kills. Uh Uh-huh. You know, Martin McDonald fucking destroyed Brendan Gleeson in, in Bruges. Mm-hmm. She has a little blood. And I was like, Paul Verhoeven. Like, when she did that and she falls against the door, I'm like, oh, fucking shit. Verhoeven's going to lean into this. And it cuts to her and she just has like a little... And this is, I don't know, maybe the gore pound in me coming yeah. out. But like, that was a moment. Where like, Ver- I think that move, this movie could have won me over to like the sensationalist side where like i yes. would have been like yelling at you but, like when it comes to her just kind of like, slightly because bl- i would have been like oh no you don't it's understand doing, like yeah right it's doing these tactile visceral right. things you don't get no i I'm, agree with I'm you yeah, yeah. person but a cut back to her she has like a slight blood i'm like okay no verhoeven's just an old and man. the coloring is bad on the blood on her mouth but, like if like it's wrong yeah fucking skull well, this, first so this but this because it's like because it's like verhoeven's being is thinks he's this is my problem is like he's an old man now who thinks he's being transgressive mm-hmm. and subversive and he's not anymore and he doesn't know what those things mean anymore sex in, in this is the thing sex in movies means something different sex and violence in movies means something different we all watched I mean not all of us anyone who's watched Benedetta has also watched um, Midsommar and, and and you know I know your feelings about Ari Aster whatever we know what dropping a person off a a, 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 a fairly high but not super high but onto a solid surface could look it, like. Could do, yeah. We know what it looks like and it doesn't look like this anymore. It looks different. It looks hard. It looks... And I don't want to say hardcore because it's such a stupid word but like it's rougher and what he feels is transgressive is not transgressive. No, no, no. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this really quickly. You yeah. know what's a, brawl, a brawler sexuality? Lost daughter. Fuck a yeah. sex scene... Between man and wife in Lost Daughter is more raw. You know what? See, I'm talking. Yeah. More raw and more like transgressive ish than anything here. Like well, the only thing transgressive here is like two women pooping next to each other. Like that, that was that, honestly that, that, that was the it. most transgressive thing in the movie. That, that is it. Because it's and it sets up expectation. Like, because, so this is what I talked about when right? you mentioned Cause this. Because, like, cause like right. that, when that happens, I'm like, oh. They're going for, for it. Because, like, I didn't want to watch this movie last night because I was like, I was in the mood for, like, a really deep, gross dive. And I watched this, and I'm like, and I watched this, and I was like, oh, it's, it's When fine. did you turn the, did you watch the whole movie? Yeah, I finished it. I turned the movie off. Like, oh, you did not finish? I, I, tech, I, I mean, I would say that I finished it. I know that she, because I kind of watched the end twice because... I felt bad about what I did the first time. I turned it off at the. It was at the end, when like, after all the stuff happens with like you know the uh, the um, when the Charlotte Rampling jumps into the yeah, yeah, fire, the fire yeah. and like it cuts to them in that weirdo college cottage and and uh, Benedetta that's, gets up. That's the end. It's like, the end. But like, just has, like, I didn't textural. see her riding off oh, okay. like into the thing or you know walking away or whatever she does. And the real story. I turned it off when she was naked and then like. When Bartolomeo walks up to her and just like grabs her by her breasts really vigorously, I'm just like, guys, no one cares about this. Like, who cares about this? Why are we like? I don't understand why we're doing this. What is who well, is this what? For? What bugs me about? Oh, I think what ultimately bugs me about this movie too is like, it felt like Virgin Ephra 
mm-hmm. is who I think's great in this. She's okay. Has, She's fine. It has a lot more control and agency over what she's doing than um, Daphne Patekia does. Like, Daphne Patekia always feels like she's being directed. Who plays uh, oh, Bartholomew. Always feels like she's being directed. She's awful, but I don't think it's her fault. No, no. she's. I think it's I, what I, the script and Paul Verhoeven told her to do. Yeah, and that's fine. Because, like, there's a moment, she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I'm going to be yet. honest with you, Mario. When, when you don't have a Wikipedia page, I'm not going to criticize right. you as an there's actor. A, there's a couple moments in this movie that play, like... Um, like Cinemax movies. Because it also feels like she wants to do some... It feels like there's something there that, like, wants to do something. I don't yeah. know. This is reading into it. But there's, like... There's a couple moments where they You're not reading off, into it. You're totally where right. Act, where they act off each other. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, I want more of that. And then, like, Verhoeven comes. And that's why I feel like... I wish this movie wasn't made by Verhoeven. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, the first thing that pops in my head is like a Jennifer Kent. Like, if Jennifer Kent had directed this, like, it'd probably be. I, Jennifer Kent had directed the story, the actual story of Benedita, like the actual nun, and the nun who, like, since this is based on a real story, like, had directed that. Or, like, it, because if, if that was it the case, it felt more raw and real if that than was like a, everything I could have got close to. Because the first sex scene wouldn't have happened. The first, like, legitimate sex scene wouldn't have happened if Jennifer Kent directed this movie, which is, like, five minutes, not five minutes, a couple, a minute or whatever of Bartolomeo riding, like, Benedetta. Yeah, the, fr- the frontage theme. It's yeah. just, like, that's not going to happen. apparently, in real life, all they did was Good, uh, but, like, she wouldn't have filmed it like that. You well, know what I mean? What, that, well, that's what bugs me about this. The, the thing that really bugs me about this movie is, is like, that, like, when... Bartolomea gives oral sex to Benedita. I'm like, oh, this just feels like a guy. Oh, it's so a guy. But that's why that's what made me think of the American authors, the old man American authors, is that because that's exactly what they did all the time in those old books. And like up until like, you know, they died. They were still like doing the same shit over and over and over again. Because like, I will admit this. It's a podcast thing, I'll bet. Like, has a guy, I was like, I'm looking at these two actresses going like, I'd like to see that happen. And then it happened, because like, I'm in my animal brain, my reptile brain, I want to see that well, happen. Yeah, we've and then been it trained happened. to want that. And then, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, but this doesn't feel right. But I, And it also feels like a, a violation, not a violation, it feels like a, um, it, it fell in... Pure defiance of of the story. I've been. And that's a really good point because I've been. This is the only movie that we've discussed thus far that I really went into with a knowledge of what this movie was going to be because they talked about it on a, twice on a podcast that I listened to, and so I knew where what, the one we listened to on the way back. Not uh, no, not that one. No. <laughs> I, but the I same, really, one I of really, the same guys. Yeah. I really want to see what those guys would have to say about this movie. Well, one of them also talking about their children. <laughs> one of them talked about not seeing. It. He had the opportunity to see it with his mother, and he did not go see it with his mother. So he ran upstairs to his old room and watched those it people alone in his bedroom. Definitely voted for Trump. Uh, no, they definitely didn't vote for Trump. No, 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 no. They. I listened to. I listened to that podcast twice a week, every week for years, and they definitely did not vote for Trump. Um, what I want to say, though, is that I knew it was going to happen going to this movie. What happened, the moment that I knew that I almost turned this movie off when, um, after they shit, when 
they're like about to kiss. And I'm like, she just, she literally just said that she was raped by her dad and her brothers. And then she wants to kiss this, like she wants to make out with this sister. I'm like, fuck you, Paul Verhoeven. Like, this isn't even transgressive. This is just stupid. And like gross. Gross, yeah. And like it was, it was, so I knew it was, and the only reason I kept watching is because they, one of the things that they said on one of the podcasts was like they were surprised how much like religion and like papal politics and Catholic politics came into it. The point of this movie is a religion. I would have really. The point of this movie is like a subversive religion comment about like the power of religion. And like I would have been fine with when, that, but like when Charlotte Rampley was haggling with the dad over the price of get of the dowry, I was like, "Yeah, the haggle. second you know what? Argumentatively, it will probably might pop up in my top ten scenes when she says like your word's good enough." Pause. This is not a horse. And, no, and the promissory note. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, "Fucking like that is like the biggest indictment of like." Organized religion, since I'm still... Well, and then religion. after that... Like, when she says, and the promissory note, I was like, that's so good! And then they... T- and, this movie and, then he, and then he and sells dumb. it with the idea that, like, when the doctor comes after she has that one fit, um, she charges her 20-whatever for the poppy juice. And I'm like, oh, this is all, like... This is all just, like, like religious... Like, about corruption and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's But, like, he keeps maintaining that it's not. Like every sheer nightgown that these women wear that seems like carefully pressed into like like trying to look non-pressed. I was like, fuck you. Fuck you, buddy. How, how do I put these around their areolas exactly? This is this is this dark enough? No, okay. Lighting. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. It's just like it's it's a creepy old man. Old American author. Old, old creepy old man directing yeah something that's like he shouldn't be well that's and the thing that bugs me is that he's probably when he's is doing like, is people like people are gonna hate this like no we don't we don't care and that's why you mentioned blue is well, the warmest color before it's like in in less successful but more successful simultaneously more successful movies they've gone way further than this that people have had a way bigger if you want to make a well, problem bugs, with sex you that, have to go further than this well the thing that bugs me about this is like I think Virgine Ephria and Charlotte Ramping are doing much better work. I think they think they're making a different movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and are they? They and thought think, they were I making. Think, a... I think Virgine Ephria is not doing is not hitting what she can. I think Charlotte Rampling's like Charlotte Rampling is probably gonna pop up for me. Huh. My thing. Interesting. Um, because I think she's just like. I've always been a big Charlotte Rampling guy, but I think she's working like so fucking hard with She's this. going, yeah, she's she's going for it. Um, and it just, that, that's what bugs me is like, I feel as though you can cast this movie the entirely the same and not do Paul Verhoeven, do somebody else. Well, I think and so. Wor- and it I'll, works. And it's still subversive or transgressive and, enough. And I'm allowing ourselves like a grace period here of, of four minutes. When I watch this movie... I think the middle movie will be less talking. I think... Well, this is technically the middle movie. Um, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I think in something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I think is the pinnacle of these movies that the culture has kind of, like, kind of decided that they want to make all the time now. It's a pretty good movie. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. The two things that are happening there is that the reason it works 
is that it's two women who uh, seem like they have their own agency and are both responding to desire, but also in uh, an intellectual way that they've weighed the costs of the things that they're doing. Responding they're, to a man's world. But in the, they're to a man's world, but like not in a way that is satisfies a male gaze. I don't no, think. no, no, of course. But I, I'm just trying to say like this is this is different in the sense that I don't think the, either of these women have any agency, and neither of these women are responding to desire are responding to a desire that I think they're owning. These women are fucking because Paul Verhoeven thought they were told them to fuck. Attractive, which is bums. I mean, not attractive, but Paul Verhoeven told them to fuck. Which I don't. Which um, I did not like. Exactly. At all, um, I think that's a big. I think actually, this movie like stands on a precipice for me of like I could have really loved this movie, but because of that, it I don't. I, so the, for me, it stands on a, a precipice of um, eminently watchable versus not. I mean, I mean, which is not like a really steep precipice to be on. Yeah. But I guess it kind of is because it walks like this knife edge, and it just like, which it kind does, of it almost it falls well. off. Like, which sure. is interesting. Like the one thing he knows I, how to... I will give positive like review to this. Like this movie walks a weird knife edge the entire yeah. time. Yeah, and because he knows how to make a movie, he's a he's a legitimate director. He's just he's just this is not his. What's thing interesting anymore. is like yeah, we don't forgive him. For what we do forgive Lars von Trier because it feels as though because I think Lars von he feels more misogynistic versus Lars von Trier's misanthropy. I so guess. I think when 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 right? yeah because when Paul Verhoeven in this movie is slicing a woman's breast, it seems to be like, did you see how I sliced that woman's breast? Yeah, subversive. And when um, Mars Rancher does Rancher he's, like, doing, he's just like a, a human being got fucking cut no when he's doing it he's like I'm slicing my own fucking body open like she is uh, she is a stand in for my own pain yeah. and I'm literally cutting myself and Matt Dillon is asking Matt Dillon is part of me I I Lars Rancher constantly in, I'm, in, I'm excited to see Lars, I'm, I'm excited to see Lars Rancher's we shouldn't get into this right now, but like I'm gonna say, see like where people stand on Lars von Trier, like cause, since he's like kind of canceled right yeah. now, like five years from it's now. Fine. Um, right. I think I think he's gonna be settled into like he's a piece of shit, but like he's a piece of shit because he's fucked up. But I think he's a piece of shit. I think in those movies, he's every single. In a, there's a reason that there's only ever two people. Well, no, in that's, a, that's what I mean. Two people though, in a scene. What I mean, what I mean is like he's constantly grappling with the duality of himself. He he's is a, literally Matt Dillon calling out to everybody, like, don't you see what I'm doing? While simultaneously saying, I am going to hurt myself in the character of Riley Well, Keogh. yeah, Again, but that's he's, he's, still, he's, still, that's he's still like a bad person Oh my god, Because he's doing it to other people. But it's not like a... But I think the metaphor is... I it's, think, a, it's a real narcissism. I think, it's, I think it's problematic in our culture to use women as a metaphor for anything. Which yeah. makes total sense to me. It makes me very uncomfortable because women are people. They're not. Uh, they're not objects. They're not metaphors. They don't work on the same level. But I think he uses them on that level because he thinks people are metaphors. Sure, absolutely. People are garbage. People in uh, of themselves are objects, and he is constantly wrestling. And I think there's he, a reason why he fucks with Shia LaBeouf and Nymphomaniac 
in a well, way he doesn't fuck with um, Charlotte Gainsborough. But I think Charlotte Gainsborough, I think the difference. Because Charlotte Gainsborough has agency over what she's doing. Right. And, and I think Charlotte the difference does. is that in. Every one of our long podcasts comes back to Lars Right. right. In, in something like Annie Christ, I think he wants to be Charlotte Gainsborough. And so that's he's constantly going back well, and forth. That's why he does between, all the action, right? But he's constantly going back and forth between who um, the true nature of his of his self is, yeah. and he's doing it in all of his movies. And it's not just the female, and it's not just the male. It's off. It, if you like, look at the thing. It's like a balancing act. Um, what we're trying to say, basically, Paul Verhoeven is do more L, do less of this. That's not true. But, like, you can't get uh, Isabel Huber for well, all no, we're the talking, movies. But I'm just trying to say, like, Paul, like, Lars von Trier controls sure. what he's doing. Whereas Paul Verhoeven kind of has, like, this two I don't different think, words. I don't think Lars von Trier is really trying to fuck with people. I think he's making a movie about pain. Yeah, so? I think so. And I think that's... I felt this was trying to fuck with people. No, no, I think, I think Lars von Trier is not trying to fuck with people. I think Paul oh. Verhoeven is trying to fuck with people. No. And he's failing. I think Lars von Trier is making a movie about pain. No, yeah, and yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how I, he expresses I, I, pain. Um, pain. Speaking about pain, do you want to experience a significantly less amount of pain? Watch. Well, you can. <laughs> when you watch Mike Mills movies, they're not problematic at all. This is a commercial. Uh, come on, come on. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. And first, you'll have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn and so much for you to feel. Sadness, joy, disappointment and wonder you will grow up travel and work over the years you will try to make sense of that happy sad full always shifting life you're in and when the time comes to return to your star it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely Beautiful world. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crying. See, you're (laughs) crying. Um. Okay, so Joaquin Phoenix plays Johnny. He does uh, his podcaster, which we we connect with, obviously. Do we? Sure, we're we're constantly shoving really long microphones in people's faces. Um, he has a sister um, named Viv, played by Gabby Hoffman. Um, he is based in New York. She's lives in California. She is a professor. Um, she's got a kid named Jesse, played by Woody Norman, and she is married to Paul, played by Scoot McNary, in a almost silent performance, which I thought was interesting because um, Scoot McNary is not nobody. Yeah. Um, they could have gotten nobody to kind of do that. Um, who is suffering from bipolar disorder, and he is wrecking, um, not wrecking, not on purpose anyway. Um, their life. He's unsafe for Jesse, and 
He's problematic in, in lots of different Portland ways. Now? So he is in a Oakland. 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 So he moves to Oakland. Uh, Viv has to go to Oakland to help him do originally just to move, but then she finds that he's having. Um, well, he's uh, he's been in Oakland for a while. A, cu- a few months, yeah. But then he got the because she says like he got the. I got the dog. Well, so it makes it seem like in the beginning of the movie that it seems like it's fairly typical moving no. adjustment things. And then as we find out, as the movie progresses, it gets worse and worse. So Jesse has to spend more time with Johnny, who had volunteered to uh, watch Jesse, who um, he hasn't seen in about a year. Um, maybe a little more than a year. It doesn't matter. Um, and then... Jesse kind of goes on a little bit of a, a road trip. This is a little bit of a suggestive of a road movie because uh, Johnny is doing this uh, a podcast segment on um, how children perceive the idea of the future and like what the future holds for them and what like uh, the previous generations have left for them to kind of clean up and deal with. Um, this, like you said in the beginning, this movie is directed by uh, Mike Mills who directed Beginners, who directed 20th Century Women. Um, solid, solid film director. Um, uh, it's an original script by Mike Mills as well. Um, got some cinematography by Robbie Ryan. Uh, it's all black and white. Um, you get got some, a score by The National? Well, it's like, it's the other part of The National. It's not the, the, lead, the, the lead singer guy who works with, uh, who does other stuff. Um, I just wanted to bring that up. I'm deferring. Ha <laughs> ha! Sneak attack. God damn it. Um, it's fine. Like it's it's ultimately just like a fine okay. film that works and what it's doing. Um, I don't necessarily know why we're talking about Mike Mills getting an original screenplay nomination for this because. There's there's nothing really happening in this movie at all. Like nothing. I I feel as though there's no movement in this movie, um, at all. I feel as though where I started with Johnny, I kind of leave with Johnny. Like Johnny's excited to take on Jesse, take on this experience with him, and we get a really good Joaquin Phoenix performance. It's fantastic, yeah. We get. Pretty good Woody Norman. Like so Woody Norman does I'm an interesting less, job. I'm so right. Woody Norman does like when he's on, he's really on. And there's some moments where he's just really off. I'm going to hint at where my where, where my feelings are going by saying that both me and my wife imagined my son in the role. Okay. Well, of, I don't have age children, so. But I'm, I'm you can kind of assume like how I'm viewing like this movie. Based on that, idea. which is but interesting because, like, this will lead into maybe the next movie. Uh, yeah, no, I just look. This is like a Mario. Nothing. Do you have like a personal experience with the next movie? Please, God, tell me you don't. I don't. No. Okay, thank God. I'm like, curious to know what that comment means, but it can't like, be like I like, went to a Greek island alone. No, it is like, like on a children's perspective. Like I look at both. Like look at this movie and the next movie. Okay, all right. Uh, in the sense of like from a children's perspective, I'm like oh, it's a kid he has to look at for a while, mm. and I'm more curious about his like relationship with Louisa. I'm like, what's going on there? Oh like, yeah. See, but that's and this is where are you? I don't want to step on your toes. No, I just. I feel it's fine, but I felt nothing. Like, this entire movie, I felt nothing. 
I looked at like the black and white cinematography, and I was like, why? Yes. Yeah. And I looked at like all the scenes, and I'm like, why are we staying? And like, why is Jesse disappearing twice? And like, then we get that scene at the um, plantation, basically the plantation garden, where he's like, it's fucking okay to not be okay. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I sat there going like, this hasn't earned it for me. Mm. And so I kind of sat there going like, I had a really good Joaquin Phoenix performance. I had a really, really good Gabby Hoffman performance where I kept sitting there going like, where do I remember her from? And I still haven't figured it out. I looked at her entire filmography. She's a little girl in Seattle. Haven't got it down yet. Um, I think Woody Norman does a really good job outside of the moments where I think Mike Mills could have directed him better. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a failing of Mike Mills. And I'm going like, this is a good, like, small film, but like... Where do you think he could have directed him better? Uh, just those moments where Jesse's meant to be like annoying, mm. but emotionally reaching out. Yep. And so Mike Mills' script has Viv come back and be like, he's reaching out for you. And I'm like, a better director would have showed me that with Without the... Jesse's action. So this is where I think this is interesting. And I'm, it's not the parent in me that. It is to this the better movie. film reviewer in you. Yeah, no, it's the person who was married to someone who does um, uh, my wife is a birth of three um, teacher. So she deals with kids with developmental delays and um, their parents on a regular basis. So it's coming from the uh, coaching of parents and adults to empathize with their children and not see them as to see them as individuals and not see them as um like objects or problems or collections of problems or neuroses or uh diagnoses to see them as people with agency who don't know how to use it um I don't want to go. We don't have to go that like deep into it because we are running up on on like a really long episode here, which is I'm sure all of our fans are fine this, with. This was gonna happen. It was gonna. We we, pl- we it's funny. We planned fucking movies. We planned this, this episode to death, so we knew like where this is going. We texted each other right, and right, talked about like when you guess two twelve. Uh, it's two oh eight. So once I put in clips, it'll probably be around two twelve. Yeah. Um, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We're doing pretty good. I love this movie. Um, I think it's really good. I think it's really... Um, I think one of the things that... I, one of my failures as a film critic is I tend to think that things that like are subtle are good. Or I use subtle as a word to describe like good. Um, I think this movie is really empathic. And I think this movie really tries hard to understand the role of the caregiver, both as an adult and as a child especially if they're related to each other or the uh, uh, harrowing moment when you realize that those two things may overlap with each other. I don't think, I think the way this movie works in reality, and that's what like, which justifies, I think the um, black and white photography, um, which justifies like um, some things is the idea that this isn't really told from, this isn't a movie about Johnny this is a movie about this is told from Jesse's perspective it's a memory movie 
it's a podcast. It's a film podcast. Because well, Johnny mentions like this will be a couple blurred memories for you, right? And it's it's he's it's essentially like a create, and so it's it almost seems like it's written like an essay. So this movie has these really great things where like um, Johnny will be reading something, a story, a book, an essay, and it will cite it on the screen. So this movie almost, and this is maybe the English like teacher in me is. This movie reads like an essay. This movie reads like a, a a a autobiographical like memoir of like a thing that happened to me. Doesn't once. it feel like it stops that like really? It doesn't do enough of that though. It does it five times, and it spaced them out like through the entire movie, and it's really really. It's it's. I found this movie very like it's emotionally. Um, uh, I thought found it emotionally devastating. The scene you were talking about in the plantation garden where they're yelling at each other. I think when you're dealing with kids of trauma, when you're dealing with kids, um, and that's the thing I grew up with. I didn't grow up with it because I didn't know it, but I grew up with, and I, I fucking hate when I, people do this in film criticism or any kind of criticism when like you have a, a relationship to it so you uh, inherently like it more or you think you can think differently of it, but what? you always bring your own experience to it. My, um, fair. my grandfather was bipolar. And my grandmother and grandfather got divorced for the same reasons I'm assuming that Gabby Hoffman and Scoop McNary got divorced because it was going to ruin, like, Jesse's them. life and their life and Jesse's Well, not life. even, like, but, like, just, like, on a, on a micro level, like, financially yeah, yeah. and whatever, oh. for them to stay together. It just, they just had to get divorced. And um, these things, the I, mental illnesses, mental health issues are so far-reaching and I love part of the things that I love about the script is that Gabby Hoffman's character seems to have such a firm grasp on who her child is and what her child needs. And the idea, so the growth comes from it's not real, it's Jesse being Johnny being more in tune with Jesse's, with Jesse's needs, and that he thinks he's doing the big, he thinks he's doing the big work. But the big work comes from doing the small work, and that's where he's saying that last thing. It's 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 well, it's a like difference. The toothbrush, right? And it's a difference. Like the toothbrush is very vital to Jesse, right? But even just like the even like the letting him stay. I'm up. assuming. Like, I, I I will mention no. why. Like I don't get this in a second. Right, but it's just I think that's a choice. It's like the idea of um, let him have a bunch of salami with cheese. You know what I mean? He loves like, that. Yeah. He, well, he loves it, but it's also the thing that's going to calm him down because sugar does something bad to him you can only know that through experience and she has all the experience and it's this is where it comes off as a memory to me in that and they do this stuff in movies for reasons because they're just shooting gabby hoffman and woody norman just like jamming to like a a couple of records you know in a room for like an hour or so while she's wearing a minute shirt and he's doing whatever um, and then they just kind of juxtapose it with a bunch of other stuff and it, and it becomes like uh, emotionally relevant um, but she knows that stuff through experience and I think this film captures that better than any Mike Mills film up to I mean this is I for me this is the best Mike Mills film and again I, I haven't liked I haven't loved a lot I, I, I've felt fine about a lot of his movies like one way or the other I think he casts well I think he's a pretty good writer um, his movies work 
none of his movies haven't ever worked for me. Um, they just haven't like transcended um, to the next level of human experience. And I think this, I think this movie, this movie does. This movie hits on a bunch of things that I don't think a lot of movies are 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 hitting on for one. But that doesn't make it a good movie. But I think it does. It, I think it does it well. Well, that's what's interesting. Is like I sat with this movie when I watched it last night, going like, "This does nothing for me mm-hmm. at all." I felt nothing. I looked at it. I was like, "Gappy Hoffman's doing a really good performance, but I don't get it." But at the end of it, I don't know if it's like a, a credit to the movie or a credit to me. Probably a credit to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want me to laugh at that, but you you framed it very humorously. That was, that was the end. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, I looked at this movie and I'm like, this isn't for me. Mm. That's not my thing. Like, which I, I think is which I think is which I think fair. But, which is is in, yeah. is probably true. But it's not like a negative review. I just look at it and go like, oh, I can piece out the good of it but like when it comes to things that don't work for me like i feel as though these things aren't meant for me well and i think this is is, that's like it it works well with like the benedita whereas like we know what paul verhoeven is trying to do we know isn't we can basically know his intent but we know how he failed whereas with this i kind of look at it and go like okay i know what mike mills was intending to do it just doesn't mean anything to me but what i hope we're gonna we can juxtapose in our final review we can juxtapose this film and the next film pretty well because i think i think next film works for me with like because it kind of does speak to me and i have thoughts about like probably why that is um but i think one of the things and i'll just i I guess we can end or wherever we want to but i I just want to throw this out there for the gabby hoffman performance it's i've kind of come to think of it in my own head as um, DiCaprio in the Revenant performance, where if she if he doesn't work in the Revenant, the movie doesn't work. No, she's doesn't she's ma- she's your audience in here. Well, and not even that she's, but she is your audience. That's one hundred percent true. But it's also the fact that like they're not together ever, so those phone calls are very important. Yeah. So if she doesn't work selling the emotion of what it feels like to be dealing with whatever she's dealing with there, trying to think, trying to. Uh, emoting about whatever's happening on the other side of the country, but then also trying to educate her brother on what it's like to raise a kid with probably ADHD, but also, and that's where I, one of the things that I've, I have a lot of affection for this movie is that they do not, they do not like diagnose um, Jesse at all. Cause you don't know. He's but, a kid. Cause he's a kid and he has a father who's could be, bipolar. could be anything. He could just be a rambunctious kid. He could yeah. have ADHD. He could be, have um you know which is a problematic thing which i don't think they want to do about like having like adolescent bipolar stuff um they could have post-traumatic it could be stress it could be from his father anything they do not they do not even touch on like trying to diagnose him he's just a jesse kid. Yeah. He's, this is and that to me um this movie's heart is so big and oh no earns, I, I, like, I can feel that earns yeah. a lot of it's it's funny. I I think I I really like it aesthetically. Um, it does a lot of the things that I like in movies. It's it's you know we talked about in memoria. It's intellectual, but it also like has like an aesthetic quality to it. Good, lots of good needle drops. If you watch the Velvet Underground documentary, the ostrich has yeah, a yeah. big has a big um, has a big year this year. Um, yeah, and, and it's feel- but it's more than that. It's just a big hearted. 
movie about families. I, I I feel that, but like I, so what's interesting is like I saw that I saw this movie as like oh it has a big heart, and I ended up like leaving the movie going like yeah I don't give a fuck about that heart, mm. but like it's not for me. And it was mm. a nice thing to watch because like I don't like this movie. But I, it's not the movie's fault. It's just. It is this going to be a Nomadland thing where you're just kind of like, like. No, fuck I think Nomad. No, I think Nomadland's a bad movie. I think this is a good movie. That just isn't made for me. Can we talk about the fact that, and it just occurred to me as you said that that you pushed back a little bit on Free Guy being on my worst movie of the year list, and you've been saying it for like a. No, but uh, that's not my thirteen months. It's not, it's not my. Oh, it's not going to be because no, you've been my, threatening for it. Bottom. Like it's on my bottom ten. But <laughs> you've been threatening that choice for a long time. Well, no, I was criticizing you saying no. I was criticizing you saying Free Guys deserves to be on everybody's bottom five list. <sighs> free Guys, terrible. You understand what I'm saying? Like this is a movie I don't respond to. I'm just. But I'm, I, 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 I'm I know, making very vague generalizations. Yeah, I know. Like, I get what it's doing. It just doesn't respond to me that mm. way. And I kind of sit there going like, okay, it's just a not-for-me movie. Like, mm. I ended up going like, I didn't get anything from Can it. Can I say, though, that it might be... It, while I don't, like, agree with you, I might agree with you in the sense that, like, it might be problematic that you have to have wrestled with a kid to, like, appreciate this movie. It might be problematic that you may have had to think about a kid's dietary needs. No, but I've, to I've, appreciate I've, this I've done that. Huh. I just don't give a shit about children. No, but cause, no, because I, I think it earns like a very um, low stakes in. Mm. But see, I don't feel it's low stakes. I feel it's super high stakes. But. As a person who doesn't give a fuck about children, yeah, ladies. Well, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel as though like I've I've done that and I did it, like in the like I'm taking care of a child for a couple days, and I didn't like it because I don't like kids. And I kind of looked at this movie going like, this kid fucking sucks. Just get rid of him and enjoy your life traveling the country as a dude doing mm. a radio podcast. Mm. Yeah, and that's uh, that, and, that's like what I was referencing. Really, I have to pee. Did it lead into our last movie, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter? You don't have kids. Yes, I have two daughters. You're my big girl. She's driving me crazy. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. I saw you at the beach today. I didn't see you. I saw you. The little girl lost her doll. She wouldn't stop crying. Children are a crushing responsibility. 
Happy birthday. So the last movie we're talking about is The Lost Daughter. It is the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal for Netflix following uh, the kindergarten teacher. That was like her big... She didn't Net- direct that, right? She didn't direct it, but she like that was her vehicle. Like Nobody looks at the kindergarten teacher and goes like, that's somebody else's movie. Mm. But they look at that and go like, that's Maggie Gyllenhaal's movie. Right. Apologies to the writer and director of that movie, but like cast somebody else. Yeah. Um, it is the story of Ed Harris. Wait, remember we did that? Yeah. This is the story of, uh, it, it is, uh, Lita, played by Olivia Coleman, is on a fictional Greek island doing a working vacation. Um, she's a college professor at, we can only assume is Harvard. Yeah. She's at Cambridge outside of Boston. Um, and she meets this bolsterous piece of shit American Greek family. Uh, and she has... <laughs> I like how you're just kind of like, you said that and you're like, I don't know where to go from there. Kind of like a journey with them. Um, it's it's a big family where you can only assume that some of this family is like the patriarchs of this island. <clears throat> no, of... I think they're just super rich. They're super rich. They're super bad. So one of the things we get, one of the things we impressions we get, and we'll talk about this later, depending on how long we go with this thing, and I hope it's not too long, but I, I imagine it could be I mean, forever. It can be forever. Um, also, is that these people come here every? These people come here. They come all here every the time. year because they always get the pink room. Right. We always learn about that. Um, the villa. The, the pink villa. Yeah. One of the daughters kind of like disappears for a while. There's a big search party for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lita joins them. Um, they find the daughter, but in the process, a doll is lost. And Lita kind of takes the doll for herself and kind of hides in her room and rejuxtaposes this with, like, Lita's old life. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was younger and raising her own young daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, Bianca. Lita, Bianca and Mar- Martha. Martha doesn't, right it doesn't here. matter. Bianca's the name that gets shouted Bianca, like 150,000 times. <laughs> um, meanwhile... Uh, the older Lita is kind of developing a relationship and friendship with Nina, whose daughter is the one who went missing and lost her doll, uh, played by Dakota Johnson. And, you know, things about motherhood happen in this movie quite quite often. Mm-hmm. We juxtapose that with younger Lita and dealing with motherhood and her own professional career. Mm-hmm. Happened to the extent where, at the end of the movie, um, Nina is having a affair with the steward of the beach resort. Um, offers her the room, but also shows that she's taken the doll, which has become a catalyst event for mm-hmm. his family. Dakota Johnson decides to stab her in the stomach with a hairpin. Yep. As one is wont to do. Sure. Um, and Lita collapses on the beach, wakes up the next day, and decides to recommence with her relationship with her children, mm-hmm. which has be, been strained. Um, yeah, no, this, I, this is a hard one for me, but I think it's, I think it's a masterwork in terms of screenwriting. In terms of direction, hmm. I'm still getting directorial debut stuff. I would it. go the other way. Interesting. But continue. Um, 
And maybe I agree with this in the sense of like Maggie Gyllenhaal is definitely hiding behind her performance here because Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley are doing fucking knockout work. Here. Outstanding. Like ridiculous Olivia, work here. Olivia Coleman is I mean Jesse Buckley is fucking great. Jesse Buckley is literally looking at Olivia Coleman and being like what's my prompt? She's doing like a and then sort of like improv thing cuz Jesse Buckley is living off of Olivia Coleman's like masterful performance. Olivia Coleman is like um Whatever she did in The Favorite is she's doing... In whatever she did in The Father, she's doing times times. a million here. Times five. Times five, I'd say. I don't think so. She's collapsing in on herself like on an almost constant basis, but in a different way and for different reasons all the time. And it's just fascinating. Um, And everyone's feeding off of that here. Dakota Johnson's the best I've seen her ever. On her on purpose, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's very good in Suspiria, but I don't think she had anything to do with yeah. that. Um, and so this is a really energetic movie for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't dislike any of my experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's it's a weird. There's definitely first time or syndrome. Like there's there's it, there's an overhanging kind of like veil of like uncertainty that hangs over this movie, but the people who bring this movie to life, Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, um, Ed Harris, um, Peter Sarsgaard, and his small bits of roles, like those guys work so well together. Everyone works so well together. They're like. It feels so tightly controlled mm-hmm. that, like, I was sold by the story. Oh, well, so it, it's funny because I'm. It's when I say that it's a um, more of a directing. It's it's more of a direct directing master work than a writing master work. Is that I think some of the novelistic influences have not been fully. Did subsumed. you read the novel? I did not. I, okay. Elena Ferrante and me do not get along. She can add herself to the list of maximalist uh, prose writers like Donna Tartt and Anthony Doerr, who were just writing too many words in their sentences for me to care about anymore. Um, One of these days, we'll get another MFA person <laughs> on this podcast where I'm like, Donna Tartt, I read one of her. I read Goldfinch, Fart, whatever. The Goldfinch, yeah. Yeah, I read that book. I read that book. Yeah, it's too much. It's too many, too many words. It's the only book of all those people. So I've the ever secret read. history, Donna Tartt's book, and I'll go in, and this is pertinent to this. Wait, hold on a second. Secret, what's the one? What's the book where all those people kill the one guy? And secret history. Oh, I read Secret History, right. not Goldfinch. So Secret History, Little Friend, Goldfinch, or Donna Tartt's three novels. Secret History justifies its uh, style through its like the history. age of its um, uh, characters and its protagonists. They're young. They're doing lots of drugs, and they're murdering people. They do so many drugs. It makes sense that they would be... And they're, they're just like on fire with ideas and thoughts and stuff like that. It makes sense that this book would we be We talked about this. Way. I like Secret History a Secret lot. Secret History is very good. And, okay, you do too. And okay. a, a Little Friend and Goldfinch are just too much. And um, but Elena Ferrante, for me, from a pro style standpoint, I just don't want to commit... It's just too much. I can't make sense of the words anywhere. I don't have attention deficit disorder, but she makes me feel like I have attention deficit disorder. So I'm just kind of like wash my hands of it. I don't think she's subsumed a lot of those novelistic um, 
uh, idiosyncrasies into a into a film script successfully. Um, so there's a lot of interior stuff that's going on in the book. I'm assuming that is not going on here. There's a lot of um, like so the ending stuff. It's like the way the hat pin works. You know what I mean? She pins up her hair into this hat. Dakota Fanning's characters. Yeah. Um, and then she Nina. uses the hat, Nina, and she uses the hat pin to stab her later. And like the camera goes like right to the hat pin, so you can see like, oh, she stabbed her with a hat pin. And then like the movie ends, spoiler alert, warp, 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 with like there's a, a a motif of slicing this orange. There's even a song that like Jesse Buckley as the young Leda sings with her daughters about peeling this That's orange. Really like, well, it's just like it's a it's a it's a callback. And so in a novel, that shit would work because you can like have the stabbing. No, not with the stabbing. It's just like, it's all okay. these. So these little motifs that are definitely from the novel, she's using in the film, but in the film, they're very obvious, A, or don't make any sense. Where in the novel, you have all this room that you can kind of like, why does she have an orange here? No, no, no. Where does she get a knife from? She's like, just got stabbed. She crashed her car. Does she have an orange and a knife on the beach? Like, what's the deal with that? Um, you get, you can get probably play into more of, so the beyond the call to Bianca is just teased one time. She almost calls her once where it says like Bianca on the phone and she doesn't call her and then she calls her again. I'm sure in the novel she thinks about and, and, uh, uh, illuminates why she hasn't called her or talked to her or like what that experience is like a lot more. Um, and to the directing standpoint, I think, and we kind of talked about this, I teased this a little bit earlier in the thing, where Maggie Gyllenhaal clearly loves Claire Denis, and she clearly loves Luca Guadagnino, because she steals from them a lot. I mean, that Olivia Colman... Olivia Colman dancing um, in that little, like, in the scene um, right before the... Um, where part. she's wearing the red dress, and she's walking around the street. Like, the one before the finale, where yeah, yeah, Harris yeah. tells her, like, to go back i mean it's just it's it's uh it's call me by your name like almost to a t but narratively this is why i find it oh narratively it works perfectly but just from an aesthetic standpoint it's aesthetic standpoint because like claire denis and luca guadagnino are kind of like operating in this like man's control like a men controlled world and the thing i find interesting about this is like a strike back versus that like like i feel this entire film is like a so the reason, I, I don't know, I've read a lot of reviews of this movie that say, like, Lita's kind of, like, the villain in this because of, like, her ultimate decision with her children. And I'm like, this entire movie's just about, like, how men suck. Hmm. Like, her always kind of, like, just fucking shitting on Lita. And every time she tries to, like, establish herself or take agency on herself, like, somebody's fighting back on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's until like that last scene where she like calls her daughters for herself that like reestablished some sort of agency. Mm-hmm. And that's why I found I don't know interesting about this movie is like is is it feels I don't want to say feministic because it's not what I was to say but it feels like there's a real importance on like a woman's agency to say something. Well, say something about what? To just. Have a voice. But what hasn't she said? Because, so, the thing I, I latch on to is where, when the first scene we look at, where Jesse Buckley's young Lita 
is like talking mm-hmm. and is um what the fuck is it? It's Will. Will mm-hmm. Will's her husband? Uh, uh Paul Mescal? No, right. Will's not her husband. Not Will, not Will, sorry. Um Josh? Joe. Joe, Joe yeah. Joe. John Farth. Jack Farthing. Uh sorry. Um and she says like it's Sunday, it's your day. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, it's Columbia. Mm-hmm. And like that kind of like cascades into everything in the story. Mm-hmm. Like every time Olivia Coleman's lead us kind of like talked back to it's a man telling her that it's the car sequence. Um, it's in Harris's um, Lyle telling her like we've had the car sequence where like she's like this is my car and she's wrong. Like, it's not her car. It's not her car. But like, but those things play a role to me. Interestingly enough, to where like this domineering male masculine perspective. Mm makes her unsure of herself. Because when she first starts, like, when it's just her and Will sitting on the beach, and Will asks her, like, hey, can I move your seat for you? And she says, what do you mean? And she's like, into the, uh... The shade? Into the shade. And she's like, yeah, sure. And it's just they the do other that, side of and the he's, And she's like, do you want an ice pop? And he's like, she's like, well, whatever. And she's like, what ice pop do you want? And, like, it cuts back to, like, her having the ice cream. But then, like, this... Because every time there's someone dominating the scene with her, it's a man. Like, we get that scene in the cinema. That scene in the cinema where it's her by herself. It's, it's, yeah. It's Lita. Yep. And then just a bunch of fucking men who say bitch and cunt and all that. And then who's the, the theater usher is a woman. And that's why I looked at this movie as like this real weird conflict between... See, I... Masculine domination and... I didn't. I looked at it kind of the other way. Not the other way in the sense that, like, female domination over men. Definitely not. I looked at it the other way in terms of, like, the like the narrative justifies some of those things. And it's more based on um, uh, what Leda perceives as an entitlement due to, like, the narrative of her life. So, I think in her mind she feels like she's entitled to this vacation. She's alone. She's fine. Like she's alone. She's working and she's on a Greek Island. She wants to have the time that she wants to have, which I think is supported by um, some of the past narrative stuff where she wants to have, she wants to have a certain, she loves her kids, but she wants to have a certain life. And her and her husband and that's one of the things I think find really interesting about this movie aesthetically is that it seems very eternal in that um, it looks like it takes place in the 60s like when they go into the past but they have like cell phones you know what I mean yeah she has like the box 90 absolutely but it it seems like it's taking place in like some kind of before time when um uh when like in, when women couldn't like make cut it as like an English major, and it's not about the women not being able to cut it as an English major, it's about women being able to balance like the the role of motherhood versus the commitment that it takes to gain some kind of academic, not just even tenure, but just like a foothold in the academic community regarding whatever it is that she's trying to do. And so 
she says all that stuff about being an unnatural mother. She has all these conflicts about like motherhood and like the 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 time that it takes and the commitment that it takes versus like the the similar time and commitment that it takes to do the thing that fulfills her um like as a like herself like motherhood doesn't fulfill herself translating Yates into Italian fulfills herself um and she you know she says later that I'm an unnatural mother she leaves her children for three years to go do whatever um I'm going to give the thumbs up for like, that's oh, what you should do. So she leaves her children for three years to go do whatever, um, you know, to, to focus on her career, to follow Peter, to have a relationship with Peter Sarsgaard, whatever. She goes back and gets her children. Um, I feel like the reason that this moment is significant, and again, I think this probably might play better in the novel than it does on the film narratively, but I think it works in the movie, is that she feels this time is some kind of sacred time. But what she doesn't understand is the intricacies of the... uh, I don't know. Like the subliminal sacredness of the place, maybe. In that, like, this Greek... family, Well, like, the the island. Like, this Greek family, essentially, from we hear from Will, we hear from... Lyle, this Greek family essentially owns this place for the time that they're there. Everyone else on the island seems to understand that for this period, it's almost very like Maine, like the summer people thing that like Stephen King and all the Maine people like to talk about that. Like, you know, um, for a certain uh, amount of the season, like Maine is overrun with like tourists and and, like this is like the price you have to pay for whatever. That's why I find so interesting about this is, is I agree with that because of the fact that like she, so like, when we she's introduced to that family, like the first big words we get are "cunt," and just like then coalescing to like moving. But and that's not says, true because we get Callie, the aunt, confronts her before that kid calls her a cunt. Well, we do, but it's obviously about moving. Like sure. it's about like up. Ending her agency, upending her like root in stuff. See, but I disagree in the sense that I think one of the things I think this movie is one of this movie's flaws, and this movie doesn't have a lot of flaws because I really like this movie, is that they don't show us enough of this movie is very focused. And I guess I would be too if I was a first time director and I cast Olivia Coleman in my movie. It's very focused on Olivia Coleman's like face and her emotions. This is a beach, okay? It's an island. She has to drive to this beach. She can go to any other part of the beach, but she chooses to stay here. She yeah. will not be moved from what she perceives as her right as a beachgoer. Yeah. But that's the whole, but that's like, it's the same thing in her. It's her, it's her perception versus the reality of what the situation is. Is that a perception versus reality? 100%. Because like, like, look at this though. But then we're immediately followed with like the follow-up scenes of Jesse Buckley has younger her. Like trying to advance her own career and then being told by her husband, like, this is his day, but like it's Columbia talking to me. Mm-hmm. But like it's always her, like, being demanded to like push herself to the background. Like, that's what that opening scene suggests is like push herself to the background. Sure. 
And she's like, so she's forcing herself, like, saying, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. But it's what the perception argument um, gets clouded by the ways in which she reacts to that. So she goes a step further than her husband did, which is, I'm going to leave this family. So he's never threatened to leave the family. He just wants to talk to Columbia. it's easy for him. But that's not that's not with the argu- but that's not the argument the movie's making. The movie is kind of making it's, that argument, but it's not because it doesn't. Yeah, no, because it is because no, one hundred percent is because it says that argument when he says when she says it's Sunday, it's your day. So like I am ask I'm basically flexing to your thing. But that's but like so you're you're going to that one moment. What she's asking in return is to have a relationship with this hitchhiker lady, this hippie lady, this blonde lady. She's asking to fly all over the place to go to conferences and sleep with Peter Skarsgård. Okay. Um, She goes to a conference and then comes home only to to deliver dresses and to tell her kids that she's got to get on a plane like immediately after. So she's home for like a couple hours. The it's and which is, not to just say that I hold her accountable for it. I Which, think that's when I think that's this is where this movie I think is beautiful, and that it's saying. It's like what do we as people require to feel? What do we as people, not just as a woman, what do we as people require to feel fulfilled? Well, that's, and that's, the family, the Greek family, acts as a foil, and not as, um, uh, a mirror, to, like what she's doing. Although. In a lot of ways, it does work as a mirror, but well, it's not. It's not like it's not designed as such. Well, the thing that works for me, ultimately, is like, so the opening scene with her husband or fiance or whatever establishes him asking something of her, and so the way I took everything that follows is like her finally breaking when she says, "I'm I exploded," mm-hmm. right? Um, I took. Narratively, those choices to mean like her husband, fiance had always asked those things of her constantly and constantly and constantly. But what did he ask of her? Did he ask to sleep with other women? Did he ask to sleep with other men? Did he ask to disappear? Did he ask to disappear for three years at a time? No, but it's it's these small infractions that kind of build up that make sense for like a narrative explosion, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like he was, he broke the contract of um, equality between the two of them, right? Like reestablish in that movie that like Sunday is your day, sort of thing. And so like the first thing reestablish in the movie between the relationship between the two is the fact that like we have we have equal lives that are you know, demand the same sort of things of us. Mm-hmm. And Sunday is our day. So Sunday is your day. And the second he says, like, it's Columbia, it changes the uh, hegemony he- hegemony yeah. of the power structure. Yeah. And then everything after that is her fucking See, trying to surface for me. I think it's weird. I think it's... I mean, I feel this is like a super feminist movie, I guess. I guess it's super feminist. I don't think it's super feminist. I think it's super humanist. And I think it's super parentist. And I think it's more uh, revealing about... Um, I don't know what parentist means. 
Well, I think it's more revealing about what it means to be a parent than it is about what it means to be a woman. And I think that, I think you are really basing a lot on like one interaction. And I think it's... Well, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like say like this interaction is my in view to like how I perceive the rest of the movie and all those interactions. But I think it's one... Because like... But I think it's one interaction. I think part of the problem with just basing it on the one interaction is that she's a very, she is admittedly a very, very, very selfish person. She's not looking out for her. She's admitted to not looking out for her family. She admits to going back to get her kids be, basically for As selfish reasons. As a result reasons. of everything that's happened before. What do you mean? Like, so you're saying like she's admittedly a selfish person based upon Olivia Coleman's character saying what she says about herself, right? Yep. Which goes back to that initial interaction with her husband. No. We're like, no, no, no. I, I, that's how I feel. Like every time I watch this, like when I watch this movie, that's how I feel. It's like the, once that power structure is kind of fucked up, like I end up going watching this, going like, okay. See, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think we're. we're pre- I don't think what she's presenting in those in some of those initial well, past moments. I, I don't think she, what she's presenting in some of those initial past moments are pivotal moments. That's not the moment that the power structure got fucked up. The power structure was inherently fucked up because he's a man and she's a woman. And so when she was taking agency for herself, it meant something different. And the value system that they both placed on working, on being creative, on being fulfilled was totally different. And that's why you have to believe her when she says she's an unnatural mother because I think she is an unnatural mother. No, that's fair. But like the way I look at this, like the way I... She's not apologizing for anything. She's not apologizing. No, no, for sure. But like... The the one reason I look at this and go like, oh, I feel as though like there's some argument to be made for what I'm saying is like when her and Pierce Sarsgaard are kind of like sitting there in the bed and she says like, I hate talking to my kids on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then Pierce Sarsgaard says like, don't say that. And she's like, well, it just is like she says like, it is the way it is, whatever. He's like, don't say that. And she kind of like just looks around, looks off. Okay. Um. It feels as though every single moment where Lita interacts with a man in this movie, that man's perspective is overwhelming it. And that's why I, I come to that opening sequence with her and the and Joe and look at it and go like, like cause because it's it's redefined with her and Lyle are like having fun dancing. Like, it's such a fun scene. Lyle says, like, you had a lot of fun tonight. You should go. Like, all of this movie is just a man telling ah, her what to do. See, but I don't... But it's... <sighs> yeah, I disagree. We did it. We disagreed heavily on a movie. Um, I mean, we disagreed both heavily on a movie that we both like. I guess we just... Um, or we're coming at it from from different reasons. I think the movie is too much. She feels too much self guilt. Um, there's too much self hatred. Yeah, based upon. I don't think so. I don't think that's right. What um, do you think I was gonna say? Based upon a man. Based upon like like her pre established version of men. I don't think that's right at all. Um, I think it's part of it. I think the I think the idea of uh, the patriarchy in academia. I think the idea of the patriarchy in um, these kind of um, alternative not alternative like uh, households because they're not but they're clearly very loose um, 
I think it's more relating. I think it's I, I think it's less clear or less specific about man woman relationships than it is about like um, parent parent well, versus it's it's full time parent versus um, career. This is thing. entirely not a point where you've gotten to yet. So like this is something I don't know anything about. And I think it's a big part of the movie. But I think it's I think it's the I think it's the the biggest part of the movie in the sense that I think she thinks I think this is where Dakota Johnson works really well, and that I think she knows something based off of just looking at. Um, it's not about what it means to be mother, which I think is is which I think is the obvious way that like it's this could be taken. It's that this is what it's like to be a parent who want something more than just having children and so dakota johnson obviously wants to fuck her husband and like and fuck other stuff and this is that's very crude whatever but she's like oh my daughter my daughter my daughter when her husband shows up she just leaps into his arms and tries to chew his face off and i guess that could be the expectation of what that relationship of that relationship but then the fact that she also wants to have an affair with will um who, confusingly enough, is the same name of the character that Paul Mescal plays in Normal People, who also just has a lot of sex all the time. Um, is Normal People good? Um, I didn't like it, but other people liked Jordan it. Jordan loved Normal People. I thought it was she really boring to watch Normal People. Very silly. So, it's yeah. just two teenagers and college students really, really making more out of life than it is. But, Fair enough. Um, She's not, it's not just, it's not just about parenting for her either. It's about like freedom. It's about like the way she dresses and the way she acts around her kids. For she, Nina. For Nina. She clearly doesn't want to be interacting with a kid on a kid level. And that's she the has, problem that. Like, it's the, the, entire, the entire, everything focused with her is like, she always has a bare midriff. She has sure. a, a lower like stomach tattoo. But it's, it's so, but that's the same thing. That Jesse Buckley is going through later when, like, she actually loses her daughter for a period, where she's talking to Peter Sarsgaard's character and she's like, "I don't want you to, um, I, I don't want you to come in my mouth. I want you to come inside of me." Um, it's not the same because she's not dressed the same, but it's the same type of thing. Her focus is not on her children. Her focus is on her work, primarily, and Peter Sarsgaard, secondly, which is related to her work. Um, because he admires her work. He doesn't admire her parenting, although he wants her to be... He, I, I feel like... he criticizes her. I feel like humanistically, yeah. he wants her to be a good parent because he yeah. wants her to be a good human. Um, but this is maybe the parent coming in me. Good human? Yeah. What? He wants her to be a good... Good. I think cheating on your husband is different than telling somebody that you don't like your kids. That's a different. That's two different. She didn't feelings. say she didn't like her kids. She said she didn't like talk to her kids on the phone. But that's like, that's what that means. And she doesn't like. Uh, it's the thing. She loves her kids, but she doesn't like want to take care of her kids. Well, she this is to... thing. Like I don't. Like that's what's fun about this like podcast right now. But like... I think if you ask Maggie, I think if you ask Maggie Gyllenhaal, she would say yes. It's about like feminist whatever. But I think it's also about. I think it's more about what we give up as people when we try to focus on our career 
versus what it what it takes to focus on a career versus what it takes to focus on a parent. And when those two things get lost, when those two things get confused, when you have kids too young, when you have kids when you're not ready, when you have kids when you don't really want kids, you're just expected to have kids, and then you have to give up something to you have to give up one thing to have another thing. And so she gave up her kids to have a career. And that's extended for not just the three years that she didn't have them, it's extended forever. And so that's where I feel like, this, the, I think that the movie works best when it's more complicated. When it's... That's, that's me. I thought it was like a car crashing <laughs> into another car on the highway. Um, I think the movie works best when it's more complicated when the, the, the conflict on the island has less to do with her being patronized by men than her wanting to have a thing that she feels like she deserves to have, but that she's not reading 100% correctly. That she's, she's, her perception of the situation is threatening, is scary, when in reality, all they need her to do is just move out of the way a little bit. Well, all they need her to do is to not like involve herself in this family's yeah. life. Um, she perceives it as these people trying to like push her out. He's, but she's also perceiving it in the sense of like her old family where like she's removed herself from. So, Right. So she's trying to say like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm yeah. not going to remove myself from the situation that I deserve to have. I deserve to have both things. I deserve to be a mother and have a vacation. I deserve to have to like be attracted. I deserve to have this, this, young Irish kid want to have sex with me and to not have sex with him. You know what I mean? I just, and to, for him to not have sex with the only, like with the other young woman on the island that she's also interacting with. You know what I mean? She deserves to have all these things. And I think that's where like the doll comes in where she's like, wants to be in this family's life. She wants to be a part of what they're doing, but she also wants to control it. Which she is also why wants to have the agency over it. But that agent, like the desire for agency is misguided. Which is like where the importance of what is it the the um, slug or whatever comes out of the mouth yeah. is like where she doesn't have agency anymore. right and that's where I think the Lyle character is really interesting um, played by like and I mean, really fucking solid I'm not sure like yeah I'm not sure where that came from like he looks really old at sometimes and sometimes he looks he's like seventy one years old man oh he looks good I mean he's doing some good dancing and stuff. but like sometimes he looks oldish but I love the idea that like and so this is one of the things that me and my wife kind of got into is like one of the things about like what role Lyle plays I think one of the things that Lyle plays is that she calls him out on his bullshit she he tries to say that he was more involved in his kid's life than he was, and she's yeah, so he brings up that dumb Leonard Cohen story. No, but it's not even that. It's that like when she's like, "You're a real uh, a real family man," because he wanted to do the same thing that she did. He wanted to live on this island. It's a party all the time. You must have been lonely here. No, it's been a party every day. Blah blah blah. And we get to see a little bit of that with the dancing and stuff like that. With being a part of this family's lives, you know the rules. You get to be a part of it. You throw him twenty bucks, and he like minds his own business. Um, and she, because she's so cynical, and because she's so, um, her pain is so acute and real for what she, like the shit that she pulled mm. with her own family. 
So she's more self-aware than she wants to let on because to be self-aware means that she's going to make the face that she makes at the end of the movie every all the time. You know what I mean? When she's giving the doll over and she's saying, like, I'm not a natural mother. I was just playing a game. That face is unmatchable. That's like an unmatchable face. No one's going to make that face. She deserves winning an Oscar just for making that face. Um, and she calls him out on his shit and he, like, doesn't know what to say because he knows it's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I taught him to swim except for the young one. You know what I mean? And he's got like a pause in the middle of that sentence is, is all of these people are living under this pre this, these false perception that they're living their best life. And in reality, they're not. And that's why she calls, that's why she takes the orange out at the end. And she goes back to the moments when she actually was living her best life. It wasn't those moments that she was fucking and sucking on Peter Sarsgaard's nipples. It wasn't like the three years that she spent, you know, growing her career it was when she found a balance between those two things. That's when she found the most value in her life. Um, when her husband was gone. When, but the, her husband is imma- her husband is immaterial in the sense that like people get fucking divorced all the time. Like divorce that guy and marry a different person. Divorce that yeah, yeah. guy and have sex with like the blonde lady, the blonde hobo hippie lady, but also translate Yates and also like be with her kids. You can so and that's the that's the point of the movie. I think is like where you find your balance it's the lost daughter you lose your daughter and you find your daughter and it's about so it's for me it's a movie about finding balance um and i think she mostly succeeds at it there's just like some narrative holes in it that i don't feel like attach well so we talked about transitions with um memoria that's on purpose these things these ideas need to transition yeah, yeah these motifs sure. yeah. and they don't and they don't really um, but I also think this movie could be read in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, there's a va- Maggie Gyllenhaal's value system is clearly, very clearly stated here. It's just um, all like the interior things in which I think the novel probably does a little better than the movie does of getting us to explaining Olivia Coleman's like attitude and her like justifications for her actions and justifications for her face general experience yeah and um some of the more complicated moments of the movie like when she leaves the doll on the table and like uh lyle goes out to smoke and like why did she leave that and like part of me thinks that she wants to get caught she wants this to be over um she clearly wants him to see it it's all on purpose but like i'm not 100 percent sure why i can only yeah. guess at why and i think a, a, a more experienced director writer answers that question through visuals and through storytelling without like having her to say without having her say exactly why that is um but i think it's again i mean i mentioned on the other that i mentioned on the podcast or over the podcast i think this is gonna little women um the oscars whether or not she can pull some of these out is a different question i think she might be able to um, you mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, yeah. I think getting Jane Campion and Maggie Gyllenhaal in Best Director, I think, is a real possibility. I think that'd be fun. Um, but, um, you know, and Olivia Coleman and if Jesse Buckley could squeak one out, whatever. The two of them and John Watts sitting together. If Maggie Gyllenhaal... If John Watts just, like, pops up there for, like, <clears throat> No Way Home. He's like, hey, guys. Yeah. If, uh, if Maggie Gyllenhaal can squeak out uh, a Best Adapted Screenplay where Greta Gerwig couldn't, I think would be... I think she does. Would be fascinating. Well, I think Jane well, Campion has, like, she the... She squeaks out a nomination. But sure, sure, sure. She Campion definitely gets nominated. Wins. Does, no, she, Campion does wins. she squeak it out? Campion wins, but, like... But I think it's very... Like, I think it's very well made. They sell it as, like, a victory 
for women sort of thing. Well, I don't, I, but I think we're, I think we've had, I think to the point that you were making earlier, I think it's enough with victory for women. But it's, they're going to do it. Well, she's, Jane Campion's going to win best um, director, director probably. If she, best, Jane Campion wins best adapted screenplay, that's a win too. But I think what we're looking for, and I think what I'm looking for is for um, the Oscars to finally acknowledge that like there's another generation of women that are making movies. And they're making different movies and they're making the movies that they want to see and they're making complicated movies with complicated women um, having leading complicated lives. Um, that old men might not know. That they might, that they might not be able to. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That Paul Verhoeven isn't recognizing. You know what I mean? Um, He's like, where's the tits? Well, because Olivia Coleman doesn't grind herself on... Like, Dakota Johnson and Olivia Coleman don't grind on top of each other at any point. Um, which is the movie that Paul Verhoeven would make, I guess, which... It, which this movie is interesting in that it lets Dakota Johnson make faces like just really complicated faces at Olivia Coleman. Let's her let's her do stuff, right? But that's in in let her do stuff that she wasn't being asked to do before, right? And it's I think the movie is really interesting because it mirrors things that kind of don't um, I think normally get mirrored. The faces that Dakota Johnson is making at Olivia Coleman are the same faces that Jesse Buckley is making at the blonde hippie lady. And you know to the mean? audience, yeah. What? And to the audience. Oh, like, yeah. Jesse Buckley's, like, making faces to us. Sure, but she's, like, saying, like, I'm... It's a recognition of... I recognize something in, in you that I would like to be a part of. Yeah. And the way to be a part of it is, in that regard, is, you know, emotionally, physically. Can you share your work with me? That's really interesting. The idea that Olivia Coleman then shares... Like the tip with like the hat pins and things like that. All that stuff is really interesting. And a worse director fucks that shit up. But uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is a really good director. So she nails a lot of that stuff. It's actually the broader narrative components that she's that are a little too like... Loops. Yeah, exactly. To really fit together tightly. But it's going to show up a bunch on my list. If you want to know what will show up on all of our list... You can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of how to subscribe to our podcast or the list of the films on our Pivotal Film list or how to get to our Twitter account if you are just like, I don't, I don't know about Twitter. Or if you want to see what we just post on Twitter without actually going on Twitter, it does that too. Um, but yeah, this is going to be... It's, it's almost January 6th. It is post-January 6th. You could yeah. have used our Twitter for... Any nefarious means. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be good. The New York Times is going to be unreadable that day. I mean, it's almost unreadable most days, but... I, I did not know that uh, Kevin McCarthy is running against somebody from I Think You Should Go Now, by the way. Or I Think You Should Leave Now. Can you that? watch that? The uh, Netflix, like, show? Mm-mm. It's like a two-season variety show starring somebody. I don't remember his name. Mm-mm. Never mind. Is he going to lose? Probably not. No, oh, he will for sure lose. He's no Kevin he's McCarthy. Really, no, Kevin McCarthy's going to win. Ah, that's too bad. Central Valley. You don't get in a position of Republican power without having centered in. Ah, that's a shame. Republican power. Too bad. Well, best of luck to you, whoever you are, and I hope that you're Bruno. watching movies. Bruno is his first. <laughs> I hope you're watching movies, drinking beers, and we will talk to you next week for our rock and roll episode. With JB. Hopefully. No, yeah, he said he was going to come. He said he'll do it.